Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcasts of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, in the tradition of throwing curveballs when you expect fastballs, rank these announcers one to three. Mike Breen, Kevin Harlan, or Ian Eagle? Ian Eagle is hard for me to pass up at number one. And then I'm probably going Mike Breen two, Harlan three. The Harlan disrespect is real. You know, it's... The more I watch League Pass, the more like I realize just how good a lot of these broadcast teams are. I mean, the entire broadcast team in Atlanta is fantastic. Fantastic. Every time I watch them, I'm really enjoyed or enjoying it. Charlotte, very good. And, and I don't even know most of these people's names, but like every time I watch, I'm like, this is really good. Toronto, very good. You know, like the, there's just a few standouts. And obviously – Every time you watch the Knicks, it's just like you don't even watch the game. If you're not interested in in seeing Julius Randle dribble the air out of the ball um, or R.J. Barrett go six of 18 from the field, just just sit back and listen because the chemistry of that team is so great. And same for Brooklyn, man. Like they they have like a rotating cast of color people, but Ian Eagle's always there and he's always uh, fantastic. All right, so let me shout out Sacramento, too, because they have Mark Jones. Yeah, that, that was a great addition. Like, um, I don't remember who the guy was before. He was good, but he was racist. Grant Napier. Grant Napier, yeah. He was good, but, um, you know, he was – listen, it, his personality didn't jibe with uh, <laughs> the Sacramento Kings, shall we say. So he had to get out of there, and what better guy to replace him with? Mark Jones – Un- really underrated announcer. I-, I have to say, like one of the best. Um, just before we before we stop this discussion on on announcers, I have to know for the sake of our friendship, Hubie Brown, yay or nay? You know, I was I went to dinner with my parents on Saturday night, and I don't remember what the hell the game was. It was on TV, but you know the bars they have like those big TVs hanging up. I'm like, oh, might as well see what's going on here. They, they showed Hubie Brown on the screen, and I'm like, how? How is this man still around? Like, I I love – like, I have very nostalgic feelings about Hubie Brown because, I mean, he's been one of the best, I think, break like breakdown type of guys, analysts for a long time. But, man, every time I see him, I'm just like, please go spend time with your family. Like, it, he's just a little bit too old for this, but – it, from the whole picture, I I still have a lot of respect for Hubie Brown. He, I just love his passion for the game. Like, he's not young, but how people t- say Tony Romo talks about football is the way Hubie Brown talks about basketball, and that's what that's why I appreciate him. He's so passionate about it. He knows what he's talking about. He is he is by all accounts like a very smart basketball coach, and that's I I feel like he has a lot of knowledge to impart, Dylan Hughes. I know you know. There are some people in our um, in our direct circle who despise Hubie Brown, <laughs> Caleb Lynn, <laughs> um, and that you know it's it sucks, but it is it is what it is. Um, 
let's go ahead and move on to the to the news for the week. So in injury news, um, Miles Turner is out indefinitely with, I believe, a plantar injury in his big toe. I'd never heard of that happening in your big toe before. But Dylan, it sounds like Miles is going to be out for the rest of the season. And you're just saying, let the tanks roll through. Yeah, this has been the disaster season from hell, okay? Like, the way that East is shaping up right now, they're in the perfect spot to just just let go of that balloon, let it float off in the sky, wave goodbye to it, and strap in for a good pick. Okay, Miles was the last time they've had a lottery pick, and that was five years ago now. And before him, I think it was Paul George, six. (laughs) And it's I think before that it was Paul George, so – when they get into the lottery, they do a pretty good job, but they just never get there. So th- this is a good – and this is a really, really good draft. And if I'm able to throw on a Davion Mitchell jersey next year, I don't think I'll be able to become happier. And and that's no disrespect to my future wife and children, but that the Davion Mitchell Pacers jersey will be enshrined in my personal Hall of Fame. So I, I think that's that's the uh, the goal here. All right, what'll make you happier? Davion Mitchell in a Pacers jersey or getting to watch a whole series of Mikhail Bridges guarding Luka Doncic? You know, Davion Mitchell would last a lot longer. And um, we're going to see plenty of Mikhail Bridges versus Luka Doncic over the years, I'm assuming. So uh, I'm going to have to stick with Davion. It's close. It's close. I could see the conflict in your eyes when you were, when you were answering the question. So it, it is close, but that's, you know, my, my heart knows what it wants and, and it's Davion Mitchell. Well, we got to shout out miles because he is ending the season, averaging 3.4 blocks a game, just really, really dominant defensively when he did play. But you know, this awful, awful season just takes another victim. And even like, I don't see any reason for him to come back and play unless he, you know, is healthy by the play in. But take it slow with him. He's a big guy. Feet injury are nothing to mess with. Like, Joakim Noah had feet problems. He also had knee problems. He had a lot of problems, um, sadly. Uh, you just don't mess with big guys in their feet. And that's pretty tried and true. So let him take his time and come back. You're not really playing for anything right now, as sad as it is to say. It's kind of a loser mentality. But at this point, we're, what, like seven-eighths done through the season? Something like that? There's just no reason for him to come back and injure himself further. So that's um, another thing. And then the uh, other injury I want to talk about is James Harden uh, had a little bit of a setback. I think he has a hamstring injury. He's going to be out indefinitely as well. It sounds like they're going to, um, he won't be back till at least May 11th, which would put them like right before the playoffs. Dylan, should we be concerned about the Nets? Kevin Durant's been off and on. Kevin Durant. <laughs> hurt himself coming back in his last game. I don't even know when he's going to play. And then Kyrie has been the healthiest of the bunch this year. And I would not have thought I would say that coming into the season. Should we be concerned about the Brooklyn Nets? I was thinking about that yesterday. I'm like, oh my God, Kyrie has been the healthiest of this team this year. And if Kyrie is ever the healthiest player on a team, that is not a good sign because that dude has some sort of a knee injury every single season. And he's already had some stuff earlier in the year that was just kind of minor. And a lot of it was personal stuff he was missing time for. But uh, it's it's tough, man. And, like, we're going to talk about the Bucks later. And if you just have one of those guys missing against the Bucks or any of these teams, 
your chances of winning go down significantly. And with as much time as KD has missed this year, I mean, I was thinking about this too. I was thinking back to some of the other Achilles injuries and we've been debating whether KD is going to be the same after this. But the thing we never really discussed was the season after the Achilles injury is never really that great either. Like he could bounce back next year, but it's like your body is just fucked for like a year and a half to two years. And I'm starting to wonder at this point, if his body is just is really slowly working back and in the process of working back, it's having injuries along the way. And, you know, really the playoffs is all that matters. Maybe, maybe him missing time right now is going to help, but it's, it's definitely worrisome. And I'm not too worried about Harden. Um, I mean, he's battled through stuff before and been fine. So I guess we'll see on that, but the, the KD thing is still the one I'm, I'm worried about the most. Do you want to guess how many games Kevin Durant has played this year? Dylan Hughes. It's got to be less than 30. That's correct. Let's say 25. You are almost right on the money. 24 games. Oh, wow. For Kevin Durant. When we did the all NBA pod halfway through the season, he was at 19 and he's played five games since the all-star break. It's not looking good. Like I think this season, I think the lack of a regular all-star break, first of all, I know they just expanded the all-star break in the last couple of years. I think that was really helping guys. And then the lack of, an off season and no Kevin Durant didn't play at all last year, but I think it's just throwing everything off and we're seeing like, we'll just go ahead and transition. Right. So we have a lot of guys coming back from injury that have been out for a little while. Anthony Davis being one of them. I saw a stat or not a stat, just a, um, a timeline thing. The off season was 10 weeks. Anthony Davis missed 9.5 weeks. He had a 71 day off season. He missed 67 days. So, you know, I'm glad AD's coming back. He's going to be coming back tonight. We're well, we're recording this, um, we're recording this on Thursday night, and he'll be coming back against the Mavericks tonight. So that'll be fun. Um, Lamelo Ball has been cleared for contact, I believe, in practice, and he should be back within the next couple days. At this point, you said what seven days a couple days ago. That should be he should be playing next week. So Charlotte should get a bolster out of that, especially since they're, they've struggled since losing Hayward and LaMelo. And then Dylan Hughes, the patron saint of this podcast is coming back. That's right. Jaron Jackson Jr. made a season debut on April 21st against the Los Angeles, our hated Los Angeles Clippers. And he had 15, eight, four blocks. And I believe he did not play very much, <laughs> but Dylan Hughes, the Grizzlies are soaring right now, and you have to think that Jaron Jackson is a huge addition to this Grizzlies roster. The fact that they've been this good without him has been one of the biggest surprises of this season to me. I mean, the Grizzlies were ahead of expectations last year, and they just missed out on the playoffs. And this year, I mean, they they look like they're like they're definitely pretty much a lock for the play-in game. But it, I mean, they they may even be a little bit better than that like they they could very easily finish as like the the seventh or eighth seed so i i i'm really excited man like this we've been waiting for this team to be healthy forever even going back to last year and jaron jackson is like i mean you could still argue he's the best prospect on his team so 
they what they've been able to do with with Jaw leading the way and and all these other guys contributing. Uh, I mean, putting Triple J back in the mix is is really going to be a, a big boost for them. And Dylan, um, so if you listen to the Ringer NBA show at all, you know Chris Vernon is from Memphis, and Chris Vernon on one of the Ringer NBA shows said that Jaron has gotten taller. <laughs> what the fuck? So he's a seven footer now. Because I believe he was listed at six eleven beforehand. So well, he's only eighteen. You know, he's still got a few years of growth in him. He, him and Jason Tatum are like the forever. He's this young because Jaron has been in the league a year longer than John Morant and is younger than John Morant. It's why like John was drafted as a sophomore, yeah, but like I think it's like a full year, even in spite of. <laughs> It's just crazy how young Jaron is, but I think that he's going to have an advantage because of that. And I, I really want to see, you know, because this Grizzlies team needs bounce off the dribble, right? Like they just need something off the dribble. Like they have a lot of, they have Ja and they have Dylan Brooks who, you know, I'm not particularly high on, but I don't hate. And then what else do they have in terms of off the dribble juice? They don't really have a whole lot. And so I really want to see, I really want to see that. I really want to see a Melton. I want to see a Melton Jaw, um, Kyle Anderson, Jonas, and Jaron lineup. I really want to see that. That would be fun. Just a, a lot of fun possibilities you could do with Jaron. But I, we are going to have the Grizzlies in a couple of weeks, and hopefully Jaron's minutes limit will be off by then, and we'll get to see him up and raring to go for the playing game. So as it stands right now, the Grizzlies would play the Mavericks in the first playing game. And then they'd be playing the winner of Golden State San Antonio, which, as we both <laughs> could probably agree, Golden State will win that other play-in game because um, Dylan Hughes, I think it's safe to say, San Antonio's season, <laughs> it's starting to look like it's done <laughs> Yeah, man. They're uh, they're crumbling at the seams right now, but uh, I think we could have seen that coming. <laughs> Listen, shout out to the Spurs, shout out to Shante Murray. You should have traded uh, Rudy Gay and while you still had the chance. But let's go ahead and move on to our teams for the week. So our teams for the week are the Pistons, the Trailblazers, and the Bucks. We did skip the Bucks last week. That's why we switched them with the Pacers. And we are, I believe, the last time we did this week, we did the Rockets, and we are skipping the Rockets entirely. So shout out to Houston. Um, shout out to Kevin Porter Jr. for being a real one. That's all I'll say. Um, so the Detroit Pistons are languishing right now. They are currently third in the lottery odds at 18 and 41. Um, good for 15th in the Eastern Conference. Their week, they actually had a pretty good week, Dylan. Um, they started off the week by winning against Oklahoma City Thunder, 110 to 104. By the way, we should have a losing streak watch. If their losing streak, if the Thunder's losing streak continues next week, we should just make a note of it every single week until they actually win a game. Um, they're currently on a 12 game losing streak. Beat the Thunder 110 to 104. They got drubbed by Washington 121 to 100. They beat the Cavs 109 to 105. And then they lost the, to your Dallas Mavericks 117 to 127. So this team is entirely different from the first time we watched it. I, like literally completely different. Um, I didn't see Jeremy Grant because I didn't watch the Mavericks game this week and because he didn't play. And then I didn't see Plumlee either. So I, the games I watched were the Thunder and the um, Cavs games. I wanted to watch the Mavs game. I just didn't find time today. Um, but Dylan, we got to talk about Killian Hayes. That's probably the biggest difference between the first time and this time. So 
he's an interesting prospect. I'm just curious to know, what do you think Killian Hayes' ceiling is? And like, what comps do you possibly have for him? So I was having a little trouble watching the, or figuring out the comp. And as, as my brain works, it just starts clicking when I really sit back and watch. Like I, I wish I could give people access to my, to my brain. Like it's a Google doc or something like, can I share access to, to some of these files? Because it's, it's kind of amazing how my brain just clicks things together as I, it's like I have a I have a stored database of every single basketball player I've ever seen, including like children that I'll see at like the local basketball court. Like my my ability to remember basketball players and their style is really shocking to me. And the fact that I have not been hired as a scout by any team is really appalling. Um, and uh, you know, there's there's a certain team up up north in Milwaukee that I think could utilize my mind. Um, but that's, that's another topic for another day. But so I'm sitting there watching Killian Hayes, just make, just, just slinging passes around the court. Like no one's even defending them and, and just throwing lobs to people like without even looking. And I'm like, okay, th- this is Lakers Lonzo ball. That's mm. what I'm seeing. Lonzo ball in the Lakers. He wanted to shoot. He was shooting, but like, he kind of was figuring out that he wasn't as good as he was at UCLA. And he was more focused on just making really good passes, getting guys open, getting to the rim. And and that's what I see out of Killian Hayes. It's like Killian Hayes is a little bit more aware than Lonzo. I think it's not that he's lacking confidence, but he recognizes like the shot is not a big part of his game right now. And he's more focused on running pick and rolls and, and finding guys in transition. And as far as ceiling, it's it's just really tough because these guys without a shot, really hard to nail them down. Like SGA is one guy I just don't know what he's going to be. I know he's going to be good. He already is good. But the lack of shot, it's like it, that. And it's the same with like a guy like DeJounte Murray. Like you just don't know how good someone can be when they don't really have a pull-up jumper. So as far as ceiling, it's tough. Like I think he's definitely going to be – like a long time starter, but can he ever be the one of the three best players on a good team? I don't know, but at the very least, he's going to be a very productive player because his passing ability, like he's going to get anyone that can jump, he's going to get them involved. And this Pistons team happens to have a handful of them. So, um, you know, it's going to be really interesting to watch his development moving forward. What did I text you? Killian Hayes hasn't met a lob that he hasn't liked. <laughs> he loves throwing lobs. So the passing to me, and this is going to sound probably hyperbolic, but I just, the way he, he's a, such a creative passer, it kind of reminds me of how Manu passes. And I'm not like saying he's Manu, right? Because that is why, like, you know, it's probably too much, but the way he, his vision and the way he throws passes, I think it's really good, right? The problem is, as you stated, no pull-up jumper. And really, he relies a lot on craft to even get shots up. So my comparison was a left-handed Minnesota, first Minnesota, Ricky Rubio. I think that he's going to play in the league for a long time. He's got, like, all the tools you want, right? Like, he's got size. He's going to be able to defend. He can't defend right now. He's a rookie point guard. What do you expect? He's played 14 games. (laughs) He's going... 
he's got really amazing passing vision, right? And he's going to be able to get the sling the ball all over the court wherever he wants it to. That to me, I think he's at baseline, right? Like Minnesota Ricky Rubio before he tore his ACL. It's a very good player. And obviously after he tore his ACL and came back in, where did he play in Utah and then Phoenix? So he, Ricky's always been a good player. I, I don't think that's a bad ceiling or I don't even think that's Killian's ceiling. I think it's his floor, right? I think he could be Minnesota because you saw like the full court bounce pass, right? <laughs> that was a crazy ass pass that just like no one would think to throw like as a bounce pass too, especially. So I'm really excited to see him just sling passes all over the court for the foreseeable future in the NBA. Yeah, when I was when I was talking, I thought about Ricky too, because I'm thinking of guys around the league that don't really shoot but are still like involved a lot. And I think Ricky is like the the staple of that kind of description. Like he's he's one of the only point guards in the league that has like everyone just knows he's not a good shooter, but he still gets big contracts and he's starting on teams. And I mean, it's perhaps it it's explainable that he's like really never been on a playoff team for the most part. I think he was in Minnesota that one year. Utah. Or was he, gone? he was in Utah. That's right. Yeah. Um, so what it takes for him to get to damn near like a super team, not to say Utah's a super team, but there was a lot of talent on that team. Like, I mean, two all-stars, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, that, that's, that's the thing is like, if you don't have a shot and Ricky, Ricky can hit shots now, but he has to be fucking no one is even close to close to me. Like I am literally the only guy on this side of the court that those are the shots Ricky Rubio hits and you don't get that many of those (laughs) in a game in the NBA. So that that's the, the worry. And again, not a bad floor because again, Ricky Rubio has been a starting point guard in the league for a long time now. Like, we, you know, he was in the same draft as Steph Curry. He's been starting ever since then. And Steph Curry has been around for a long time, if you need any reference point. So that is, it's, uh, and, and that really just shows how important shooting is. And not that that's like a, a shocking revelation that you need to be able to shoot as a point guard in the NBA. But, you know, that's that's just kind of a sign of of the difference. Like if Ricky Rubio has been, a 35%, you know, shooter for his career, we would talk about him a lot different, but he just never became that. Um, And and this is a guy that's been one of the best passers and point of attack defenders, like at least at one point, and he still wasn't really considered in that high regard. So that, that right there just shows how important it is to shoot. And, and Killian's a lot more athletic, so maybe he'll be able to figure something else out, but um, I mean, obviously the shot is just what it's all going to come down to. So I pulled up Ricky Rubio's basketball reference page. So for his career, Ricky is averaging 11 points a game, 7.7 assists, 1.8 steals, 39% from the field, 32% from three. And he gets to the free throw line 3.6 times a game, which honestly kind of feels high. <laughs> like, I think that at worst you're a high quality backup point guard or a starter on a really shitty team. Right. And I think, you know, there's some value in that, like to be able to helm an offense. Now, would you like him to be able to shoot? Yes. I really want to see his offensive game progresses. I don't know whether if the shooting doesn't come, then he is 
Rubio nonstop, right? Like just as absolutely purely the case. But this is the thing. This is another stat from Ricky Rubio's basketball reference page. He's only come off the bench about 35 times in his whole career. So you're going to start somewhere and guys like starting. So I think that there's something there and he's 19. (laughs) He's 19. He's played 14 games. So you hope to see, you know, maybe next year, some progression, some, you know, added scoring element or strength. Cause he, he does need to put on some weight. He is very thin, but if he puts on some weight and he, you know, he develops a jumper. I think that there's a lot there you could work with. You know, one thing that I don't know if they've already announced their plans for this, but I would love if there was a summer league before next season. I mean, it, it may have to be called a fall league because I guess technically summer, but I think I saw the other day that free agency is slated for like August 2nd. So around then, I mean, I guess you'd only be like a month late really they're they're a month behind for where they usually are so it's not that big of a deal it's not as bad as it was last year but if they can get a summer league and summer league breeds a lot of like this guy is better than he really is type of takeaways but if you really look back i remember i think it was the same summer league that donovan mitchell and kyle kuzma first played in and a lot of the stuff those guys showed have stuck around right so it's not like every single person that's good in the summer league is just fake. It's not like it's not real. And I would just love to see Killian Hayes. It's just a good place to get reps. And, and like, cause the, the summer league is damn near like an advanced G league. Right. So you're playing guys that are pretty much better than G league or at very worst G league. So they're not bad reps. Like they're not NBA reps, but they're close. And if a guy like Killian Hayes was able to get in there and start throwing some three-point shots up, then, you know, I I think that would help his game a lot and help the Pistons kind of figure out exactly where they want to go with his development. But, uh, you know, whether the NBA plans to do that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think the summer league point is definitely a good one because he just needs something, right? And obviously he got hurt. very early in the season, like what seven games into the season. I think he didn't play a whole lot and, you know, hopefully he gets to play out the string here the last like 15 or so games. And then yeah, summer league. I think a lot of these guys would benefit from summer league, right? Like it's amazing that Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart have come in and been as good as they have been. And we're not really going to talk about them a whole lot this week, but Isaiah Stewart, man, <laughs> that dude's a dog. <laughs> and, but they could use a summer league too. Like this whole team could use a summer league. I think Dwayne Casey is going to stick around there. I think he seems like a good fit for this rebuild. And, you know, I, I like them having a good coach. I mean, if he wants to go somewhere else and try to coach a playoff team, you know, I wouldn't be mad at that either. Cause I like Dwayne Casey. I think he's a good coach. And I think, I think he kind of got screwed because his team won a championship with when they acquired Kawhi, he didn't have the chance to coach Kawhi, but I think that this team like, I think that a lot of the guys that they have could really use a summer league. And like, then you add a top three, four or five pick. Like, I think the worst pick they could end up with is like seven. And like, that means you're going to get a really good player and they need all the talent they can get on this team. So I want to see, I want to see that summer league. I think on that note, let's go ahead and move on to my next question for the Pistons. My next question for the Pistons is simple. 
Will Jeremy Grant play out this contract in Detroit? He has he signed a three year contract. He's going to have two years left on it. He is going to make twenty million a year. That's basically good starter money in this NBA economy. And you know, it just doesn't feel like he fits with what they're trying to do. Like it kind of feels like you're kind of doing two roads at once. Like you have this guy Jeremy Grant who needs a lot of shots, and he's probably more than happy to take them. But like the efficiency really isn't where it was like, cause when we first had the Pistons, he was at like 39% from three and like 40, 45% from the field or something like that. Now he's down to 43% and 35.7% from three, which is reasonable. You know, 22.5 points a game ain't bad for a whole season, right? For 51 games. But like, I, I just can't help but feel Dylan. Like he's not going to play out this contract in Detroit. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they went either way because you can kind of see it with these rebuild teams. Like they need one proven, like really solid guy. And I mean, you don't have to like hell the thunder have just decided that they don't need that. (laughs) Um, And Hey, it's working for them. They've lost 12 in a row. So, you know, winning is clearly not their objective, but I don't think the Pistons plan on going down that extreme of a hole. And, you know, I guess it depends on what they do in the draft. Like, if they end up with Evan Mobley, you probably want to just start Evan Mobley at the four and maybe you trade Grant. I don't know. Or maybe – I mean, he started the season playing the three, I think. So, I, I'm not sure. And, but, of course, then there's Sadiq Bay. you know. So, you know, like you said, it he kind of gets in the way. But I don't know. Like, if they end up with a guard in the draft, maybe, maybe they're like, you know what, we'll – we'll at least keep him through the trade deadline and, and sniff around. But a guy making $20 million a year that's that's playing, that has proven that he can score a lot of points is going to be very sought after. And especially in the offseason when there's a bunch of cap space available, making trades for guys of big contracts like this are not that difficult. And, hell, I'm just thinking of a team like the Celtics – like the Celtics, I think have done a good job piecing together our roster for this season, but next year, man, they're going to need more umph. And Jeremy Grant is a guy that I think would fit in well there. Cause you know, like you said, he's happy to take all the shots in Detroit right now, but his entire career leading up to this, he's been at best, like the fourth best guy on the floor. So it would not be foreign for him to just go right back to that. And, hey, he's going to happen to be making twice as much as he would have anyway uh, prior. So, you know, I I don't think that um, he'll play out the whole contract, but I wouldn't be surprised if if he's at least there until the trade deadline. But, again, depending on what what happens in the draft, uh, he very well could be gone by this summer. Yeah, and I think that it's just the business of the NBA, you know, like – it's good for him that he got paid and good for him that he's going to get to take as many shots as he wants to. Like, I'm really, I'm really happy for you, Jeremy Grant. But I think that like the disconnect for me is just like, you're right. He was never anything more than a fourth option. And he's got, listen, what I think this Detroit stint will do for Jeremy Grant is that teams will actually take him seriously as an like on ball creator. And if he's your like second or third guy, instead of your, you know, first guy, I think he could actually be something. Right. But before, you know, if like the if you went to the Nuggets and said, hey, let Jimmy Grant create take 15 shots a game, you would have laughed at him. You would have said you're stupid. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, why? Why? This guy can't do anything like that. And we know he can now. And so I think that he's going to really benefit from that next time. So maybe that's one positive that's coming out of this Jeremy Grant Detroit situation. Other than him, you know, getting absolutely massive contract. I, I would tend to agree if not next year's trade deadline, then definitely the one after that, like as a stretch run, like kind of guy for like maybe two second round picks. But if you trade him next year and the team gets a year and a half of him, like, I think that that's a win-win for the Pistons and whoever trades them. And I think actually, I just thought of something, Dylan Hughes. Should I save it for now? Or should I save it for the, the next team? If you're Portland, why wouldn't you trade, uh, Jeremy Grant or trade for Jeremy Grant for CJ McCollum. And like, especially if the, in that Mobley scenario, I think it could work like where you give CJ a lot of shots and then like sneak Bay. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing maybe like a, some sort of three team trade where Grant goes back to Portland and you give Grant some of CJ shots. And then, you know, maybe see if you can't get the shots from somewhere else. I think Jeremy Grant in Portland wouldn't be a terrible destination. Yeah, I mean, we've been trying to get a four in Portland for I don't know when was when did Lamarcus leave? <laughs> Basically, ever since then, we've been trying to get a four in Portland. Um, we wanted Kevin Love there. We wanted Blake Griffin there, even Tobias Harris. So, you know, that makes sense to me. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'd have to sit and think. But as far I, I really want to sit down and do some some fake. CJ McCollum trades because I think there's a lot of ideas out there because uh, like a spark plug type of creator like him is going to fit in on any team. And I want him to end up in Philly so bad somehow. I don't know what, but the thing is I don't want them to give up Tobias Harris at the same time. So it's, it's a really tough thing that I'm working through uh, mentally to, to try to try to make that puzzle fit together. But, you know, there's there's a lot of options out there, and and Jeremy Grant is the type of guy they do need. I they need scoring from forwards, and they got it in Norm Powell now. But is Norm Powell going to be there next year? I don't know. And you know, you can easily slide Covington down to the three, and then put Grant up there. And because like the way the West works, you need guys that can score down low. And all you need guys that can that can have you know pull up jump shots and Portland just has not had that. I mean, Portland has just had a bunch of off ball, backdoor cut, catch and shoot three guys at the at the four and the three, and it's just it's not it's not enough. Like as good as Dame is, it's not enough and. As good as CJ is, it hasn't been enough. And I think a guy like Jeremy Grant would definitely be good. I don't know whether that's the way they'll end up going, but and we can talk about this more with Portland. But uh, I mean that that is the type of of trade that would interest me. It's just Detroit would they want CJ McCollum? And you said they could be a three team trade, obviously, but that's you know that that doesn't really fix the problem of, I mean, it gives you a really good guard, which I, I think they need another guard. So, but I don't know, maybe you turn CJ into something and to break it up into some younger guys somewhere else. Yeah. Just something where like, cause Portland just really needs any, like you're right. 
Alfred Gumino hasn't cut it. I hate to say it. Robert Covington, it's not Robert Covington's fault. We'll we'll get to that more in the Portland section. But Jeremy Grant fits that team to a T, right? They really needed Aaron Gordon. I'd say they probably needed Aaron Gordon more than the Nuggets did, which the Nuggets needed him a lot. But listen, I think that, you know, I, I like Jeremy Grant. And I think that wherever he goes next, it'll be a fruitful destination for his next team. So let's go ahead and move on to our final Pistons big picture question. And that is, how are you liking the second draft guys in Detroit? So we made a point last a couple of pods ago, how Detroit, we really like how they're just, you know, acquiring young talent and they're, you know, second draft guys like Frank Jackson, Josh Jackson. They did that with the uh, Derek Rose trade and Dennis Smith Jr. How are you liking how they've approached that, that second draft approach in Detroit? I've loved it, man. Like th- this is how you build a team right here. And I, I think every young team that's kind of tanking has some success with it. But I mean, I think Detroit's done a great job. And like, even if you go back to last year, they did it with Christian Wood and it was just, unfortunately for them, either he didn't want to stay or they didn't want to pay him either way, understandable from both sides. But like Christian Wood had like a slight, like one or two weeks in new Orleans where he was like looked at, but before that, he wasn't really noticed much. And then he goes to Detroit last year and is awesome and gets a huge contract from Houston. And now they're doing it like Josh Jackson was kind of the first one, I think, where, you know, he started to show some – and this isn't even second draft for Josh Jackson. This is like third or fourth draft with him. But he was good in Memphis. Like he wasn't great, but like he definitely was showing some promise. And it seemed like he just kind of needed to get out of Phoenix and it wasn't a good fit for him. And he's been good, man. He's had some really, really good games this year. Like there's been games where he's taken over like in big moments. There was a game earlier in the season where he had like 30 points and had like half of them in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, he's been really good. And, you know, the, the, the three point shots still not really there, but he's just so good at getting to the rim and finishing. Like he is, he's got really great touch around the rim and he's so like, he's got such great touch, but he's also really fierce. He's like a guy that can bully his way there, but not like he's not doing too much where he misses the shot at the rim. So he's got a really great handle on, on his uh, attack uh, with the ball. So I've really enjoyed watching him and Frank Jackson. This is a guy that I have liked since, I mean, I liked him in new Orleans a lot. I always saw him as like a less talented Malcolm Brogdon, like just kind of the way he handles the ball. Like he's not as good a passer. He's not as good a defender. He's not really as mobile. Um, not that Malcolm Brogdon's super athletic anyway, but he's like, just as far as scoring, I, I just see a lot of similarities in their games. And I mean, Frank Jackson, like, first of all, I didn't even know New Orleans, like, I don't, did they trade him or let him go? Because I didn't, I didn't know he was in Detroit until like the beginning of the year. Like I completely missed in the off season somehow that he wasn't there anymore. But I mean, I liked him in new Orleans a lot. I thought he was a nice complimentary guy and he's had, he's had some games this month where he's just like unstoppable from the field. Like he's very efficient, good shooter. He's, he's just not much of a passer. Like he's just, he's going to be one of those guys that's just a complimentary score, which is good. Like that's not, a bad thing, but he's always going to be a bench guard. But I mean, as far as second draft, like that's a hit to me. And Dennis Smith has been here and there. Like 
they they have so many young guys bouncing in and out of the rotation. Like Sekou Demboya, like just plays every once in a while, um, just because the way their forward situation is playing out. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot of these guys we don't always get to see. But I really like the way they're handling it. Obviously, I could go on and on about Hamadou Diallo. I mean, that that's that, – like those are the moves that winning organizations make, right? Get a guy that's proven himself and, you know, you might have to pay him a little bit this summer – but you're not paying anyone else, so who cares, except for Blake Griffin. So, you know, I, I just really like their approach, and that's why I think over the next few years they're really going to uh, have a lot of success. Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on their respective heads there. Um, this is just an organization that's starting to do things right after not doing things right for so long. Like last year, they were probably the most talent bear roster in the whole league. And now you just go like up and down the roster. Like you obviously have Jeremy Grant, you have Delon or Delon Wright got you. Never mind. You have Mason Plumley and Corey Joseph as the vets, right? And then you have Sadiq Bay, Killian Hayes, and Isaiah Stewart as your big guy or as your guys you drafted, right? Like as your three first round picks. And then you know you add, um, you trade Makai Luke for you trade Makai Luke for Diallo, which we both agree the Pistons won that trade um, nonstop. You sign Josh Jackson to a nice little contract. Um, I believe Frank Jackson's on a two-way right now, but he's not, certainly not playing. <laughs> he's playing more than a two-way would suggest. And he actually had a really big role in that uh, Cavs game the last, this week. Um, you know, Tyler Cook is showing some interesting stuff. You know, I don't really know a whole lot about him. Saban Lee is interesting. I don't know a whole lot about him and I'm not going to claim to, but I like the flashes that I've seen. It's just like, just so much more talented, right? Like they turned Derrick Rose into Dennis Smith Jr. And if Dennis Smith doesn't work, then whatever, you know, like Dennis Smith is a restricted free agent this summer and you're definitely going to be able to not lowball him, but you're going to be able to bring him back for cheaper than like, you know, some other lottery picks, like, right? Like he's going to be cheaper compared, like hell, he's going to be cheap compared to Mark Hell for sure, right? He's going to be cheap compared to all the other point guards picked in that range in that 2017 draft. So it, there's, if you lose, you don't really even lose that much. So that's why I like these moves for the Pistons. And then if they hit on their draft pick this summer, or I guess, I don't know, it'll be like late summer. I don't, the draft is like July something. I don't remember what, I think it's the 29th. It's crazy. We're only going to have like another two month off season again, Dylan. It's going to be, it's going to be brutal. Um, that's, that is what it is though. But I think that the Pistons to me, I just, I really like the direction of this franchise. I think that they, they're not going to be good for probably another, what, two, three years. But after that two, three years, you have something. And I'll be, I'll be curious to see like what their young core grows into. Yeah. I mean, like the, the foundation is being set right now. And I think the, uh, I mean, this draft is really important, I think, because as we've talked, as we've talked about pretty much every week at this point, like this is going to be a really good draft. And even if they get unlucky and, and fall to like six or seven, they're going to get a great player. So, but on the flip side, if they end up in the top three, they're going to have like a superstar type guy. And I mean, I think any of the three top guys would be a great fit there. Like that, the, the way their roster is shaped out, like they, they could slide any of those guys in and, and be really happy. So 
And, but even if you move to like the next tier of guys, I think, and I don't know a ton about those guys, but I know there's like some forwards in there and some guards and that's what they need. So like, you're, you're going to be set no matter what. And I mean, like you said, it's going to take some time to materialize, but I think in like 2023, we may start having some, uh, some, some central discussions about who's the top dog. Yeah. I mean, this central division is like pretty much all on the up and up, you know, the really the team that's probably in the most dire position is honestly the bulls because Levine's an unrestricted free agent after the 2023 season. I Or is it next year? I think he might be an unrestricted free agent next year. And then Booch is unrestricted in 2023. So if both of those guys leave, then they're in the most dire straits by far. It'll be interesting to see, but then are the Cavs, we agree, have a bright future, the Pistons, the Pacers, and then the Bucks. you know, their core is locked in for the foreseeable future as well. So it's going to be an interesting time. We'll talk about the Bucks in a little bit, but Dylan, I think it's a good time as any to move on to your Portland Trailblazers. They're currently 32 and 26, good for six in the Western Conference. Um, they are not doing well right now. <laughs> They've really had a rough stretch. Their last eight games, they've gone two and six. <laughs> it's really not gone well for the um, Blazers. So last Friday, they beat the San Antonio Spurs 107-106. They then lost to the Charlotte Hornets 101-109 to in a game that was not really that close even. It was a blowout in other portions of the game. Um, they then lost to the Clippers 113-112. to and then they lost again to the Nuggets, 106 to 105. Um, Dane was out a good portion of those games. He did come back last night against the Nuggets, I should say. But still, Dylan, the Blazers, um, just before we get into the big picture questions, they're kind of scuffling. And I think it's safe to say out of like the top seven teams, they're definitely looking the weakest right now. Yeah, it's kind of funny that as soon as they get healthy, they just run into like a buzzsaw and like every team in the West right now is clicking pretty much. Even the fucking Kings are dropping like 130 a night. It's like you, you really have no day off in the West and, and hell even Minnesota has been playing well lately. Like it's like you really get no days off. And, you know, to be fair to Portland, the past couple games, like last night, just barely lost to Denver, which by the way, Really bad offensive game last night. Like I saw one oh, I think it was one oh six and one oh five. I'm like, okay, this should be a good defensive game. Maybe a little bit. Mostly just terrible, terrible offense. Like I looked at the box score after, and I was like, it, it just felt like the second half was all Jokic. And I looked at the box score, and it doesn't really suggest that Jokic was like the only good player in that game. But it felt like that in the second half, um, which is not surprising the way that things happen nowadays is, hey, Jokic was the only good player on the floor. Like, wow. Um, but and then the Clippers game, you know, they didn't have Kawhi, but the Blazers didn't have Nurkic or Dame. So it was um, a valiant effort, I would say. But, yeah, man, like this, this Western Conference is tough and even if you slide down to like the Warriors, you don't know what, what Steph's going to do. It doesn't really matter what the rest of the guys on the team do. If Steph drops 10 threes a night, you know, they're going to have a chance. And all the way up from the Warriors up to uh, Utah, it's like there's – it's just a tough battle every night. It doesn't matter who's on the team. So Portland is just in a really tough spot right now. Is it crazy to say that right now of the top – 
12 teams in the the West. The three worst teams are Sacramento. Sacramento, listen, they can drop 130 on you, but they are also going to give up 131. They're absolutely awful on defense. They're two and eight in their last 10. They've really been bad since they kind of, we, we've got the Kings at their only good points of the season so far, I would say. And then the Trailblazers and the Spurs, like those three are probably like the worst three teams right now in the West. I mean, New Orleans can't get out of their own way, but I don't think New Orleans is bad. I just think that they're young and slash bad roster management for the most part. And then Golden State, Steph is just on fire right now. I I don't know how (laughs) it doesn't seem like last night he was 18, eight and seven. And that's the worst game he's had in a month. Like, he just has been incredible, like absolutely on fucking fire lately. But I, I'm concerned about the Blazers. We were looking through their standings earlier. They're eight and eighteen against teams that are above 500. Like it's not really looking good for them at all in the playoffs. I think the Clippers, like they won that game off a of monster PG performance, and if they can't stop PG, there's no way they can stop Kawhi and PG. Like, <laughs> let's just let's just be blunt, Dylan. I think that it's going to be a five. I think it's going to be a gentleman's sweep. <laughs> If those two teams play in the first round, I I really, I love Dame, you know, I do, but it's just a terrible, terrible matchup for the Blazers. Yeah. Dame's going to have his 50 point night and that'll be their win. But otherwise it's, it's going to be tough. And I mean, just coming off that Jeremy Grant discussion, like that's, that's the thing is they just, they don't have the forward depth to match these teams. And it's like every single team out West has some sort of like really nice, nucleus of forwards um i mean like starting at the top you know utah just great shooting from bogey ingles royce o'neill and then uh utah or uh phoenix has all their young guys and then jay crowder and denver michael poor jr gordon like all the way down you could name off every single team that's in the race has really nice forward depth and like having Having big guys that can they can dribble and score, you know, off the dribble or at the rim is huge. And the Blazers, like, aside from Norm Powell, which I, I do think Norm Powell is going to help them a lot in that area, but it's not going to be nearly enough to match what they're going to have to match. So it's 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 going to be a uh, a very sad exit for the Blazers when it when that time comes. One, I, one more thing before we move on to our big picture questions. Covington, if this defense was like 20th instead of 29th, they, right now they're allowing 117.5 points per 100 possessions, according to Cleaning the Glass. That is good for 29th in the league. Sacramento is the only team that's worse. Covington, man, he's not like an on-ball defender. Like he's not on-ball ace. But my God, that dude is so elite off the ball on defense. If he wasn't, Dylan, if he if the Blazers weren't this bad on defense, he'd be on my all defense first team. Like he's been really that good. It's it's not his fault that this Blazers team is as bad as it is on defense. I'd blame it on a lack of like coherence due to injuries and COVID and whatnot. Like Nurkic just came back recently after breaking his hand. And then I it's just it's just a confluence of events, but the problem is it leads to a dire season. And right now the Mavericks and the uh, Blazers are tied, I believe. And I think the, the Blazers do have the tiebreaker, but <laughs> it's okay. No, 
the Mavericks are a half game back of the Blazers, but the Mavericks have one of the easier schedules going forward and the Blazers have one of the more difficult ones. So there's a legitimate shot that the Blazers are in the play in and the Mavericks are in the, are in the first round. So Dylan, I guess I'm, I'm going to start here. So this is the question. Every time everyone talks about Portland for the last, I want to say four years, and this has been like the main talking point, but I think this is the time to actually discuss it. Is it the time to trade CJ McCollum? And let me, I don't think this is CJ's fault. I have been known for not being that high on CJ McCollum, but I think he's actually really good. I think that this is by far his best season. I said that in the Detroit section. I think this is by far his best year. He is playing out of his mind on offense. He is such an amazing offensive creator, but the problem is those guys are just so small, right? Like, you can't have both of them and be an elite defense. And Dame has not really been good on defense at all this year. We don't really talk about it because we both agree point guard defense is kind of overrated. But listen, Dame is no one's idea of a stopper <laughs> at the top of the key. And he's definitely not been doing that this year. And listen, Dylan, I just think that it might be time to just break, have Dame run the team, bring back Norm Powell for maybe a little bit cheaper. And just try to trade CJ for some wings. Like, I think that really, I think Norm Powell can give you 75% of CJ's offense, maybe even like 85% of CJ's offense and bring you a lot better defense and then you flank them with better wings. And I think you, you'll be better team next year. What do you think, Dylan? Well, I'm going to take a a page from your book and, and throw something at you. How the hell can this team fly if it doesn't have any wings? Okay. You need wings to fly, baby. <laughs> and, and that's good. That's good. And listen, the last time we talked about Portland, I I mentioned that I was tinkering with the idea of trading CJ because I'm like, Gary Trent Jr. is so damn good. Like you can easily survive with him as your starting two, and whatever you get with CJ coming back, you know that like you might have a much more well-rounded at team. And I ended up just deciding, well, you know what? CJ is such, he can run the bench so efficiently that maybe it's better for him to just stay. But, you know, now that they have Norm Powell, and Norm Powell is better than Gary Trent as much as I love Gary Trent, if you can keep Norm Powell, then I say get rid of CJ and, and just beef this team up a little bit because, as you said, like, as good as CJ is, Having him and Dame together on the floor, you're going to be great offensively, but defensively, it's it's just it's just I think it's just too much of an issue, especially with the fact that every single team in the West has an awesome point guard. <laughs> like even the bad teams have an awesome point guard. So it's like you know you got to have some sort of of stopping power at guard, and they just don't. As much as those guys can put up on offense, it's like some sometimes you're just going to have to match. And that's what we saw last year with Portland. It's like they their defense was so bad, Dame had to fucking, you know, just put on his, his, uh, his combat boots and throw up as many points as he could because he had no other option. And they still weren't good enough, not even close to good enough for winning a series. So I, I think it's just time. And – as I said last segment, like there's a lot of teams in the league that could use CJ, and he's he's going to be a great complement on half the teams in the league at least. I mean, I'm just thinking of like right now, 
assuming this Victor Oladipo thing doesn't work out, how good would he be in Miami? Like that, they they need a guard really bad. Last year, Goran Dragic was a huge piece of their run, and it just doesn't seem like he's going to be that guy this year. And Jimmy and Bam are still good enough where you can add, or still young enough, mostly Jimmy. Obviously, Bam's young enough, but you could easily throw CJ in there and still have a title window open for a few years. So, and that's just one example of a team. I mean, hell, you know, what, what would uh, New Orleans give up for someone like CJ? Like you could name half the teams in the league and it would make sense. So I think, I think there would be a a pretty large market of bidders for a guy like CJ and you're going to get some good pieces back and, you know, it may be even a good chance to get a little bit younger. Like you may get some wings that aren't necessarily completely developed yet, but they got a lot of upside. And, you know, that I think that's where they need to look because it's just we, we've seen enough of this story. Like ever since LaMarcus left, it's been the same story all these years. And, you know, it seems like Dame is going to stay no matter what, which I respect. But at the same time, like show him the same respect and, and start – and not to say they haven't made great trades. I mean, I think like getting Covington, great trade, getting Powell, great trade, even going back to Nurkic was a great trade. Like they've done a really good job of building this team. It's just, again, they haven't had that second superstar type of guy where they've been able to keep up. And, you know, it's just, we know, we know what CJ is and he's not good enough. So it's, it's time to move on. All right. So I thought of a team. All right. Well, first of all, I think two teams. First case is the nuclear option. Okay. And this nuclear option is for a certain team in Los Angeles. So, okay. This trade only works under this specific circumstance. Okay. So let's just say the Clippers lose in the second round this year. And Kawhi decides, you know what? I've had enough of this. Going to Miami, taking my talents to South Beach. Joins Jimmy Butler, the guy he always wanted to play along with. I mean, CJ and a, like a few picks for Paul George. That would be the nuclear option, right? I don't think that's going to happen because it requires a lot of stuff. But, you know, CJ could definitely be your best player while you try to tank, right? Like, no disrespect to him, but if he's your best player, you're not winning a whole lot of games. Second option, and this is what, this one's a lot more favorable to the teams involved. It involves a favorite team of ours, the Memphis Grizzlies. All right, so the Justice Winslow experiment in Memphis. I really don't think it's going to work. All right, I think Kyle Anderson does everything that he does better. Less athletic, obviously, but still as capable on defense and is a lot better shooter. So the trade would be, so I actually, thankfully somebody already did this trade, but I wouldn't do this exact trade. So the trade that they did was Winslow, Dylan Brooks, Tyus Jones, two first round picks for CJ McCollum. Now that's not the trade I would do. I would sub out Tyus Jones. I would instead ask for the two first round picks for the Grizzlies this year, or I guess this guy, one of the guys was a second round pick. I would ask for Tillman and Bain. Cause you're basically getting equivalent value there. Like, and I think it would make the Blazers a lot better. First of all, because you could slide in Tillman as your backup center. And the Grizzlies just don't need all these guys. <laughs> you tighten up the rotation, and then you have Morant, CJ, Kyle Anderson, um, your first round pick this year. 
you your team just makes a lot more sense if you're the Grizzlies. I I mean, Dylan, I think CJ McCollum to the Grizzlies. I think that's probably one of the best landing spots. Yeah, we've been trying to to shoehorn a, a two in there for a while, and we talked about Terrence Ross. We talked about Demar Derozan. So CJ, I mean, CJ feels exactly what they need, and and hey, guess what? Your your backcourt defense is going to suck. Like it's not going to change from the situation. But hey, unlike Portland, they have Jaron Jackson and and Valanciunas and Kyle Anderson. They have a lot of other help. So I don't think the defense would be the same concern as it is in Portland. Not to say they don't have good defenders there. I just I just like the what Memphis has more. Um, and you know that that's the thing that Memphis needs is a pull up guy because Morant just hasn't really done that yet. And I, I think that would be kind of the perfect counterbalance to Morant's game while also giving them more space and just a little bit more veteran leadership for, for all their youth. So for them, it's, it's great for Portland's. I just, I still don't know what Winslow is. I just, I don't really know. And it's like, if you're going to trade a guy like CJ, I feel like I would want a little bit more, proven and like I like Bain but you know that and that's that's nice to fill McCollum's spot but I'm not sure like I feel like I would want something a little bit more certain than Winslow that Winslow is on an expiring contract I feel like Brooks you know you're getting Brooks too so you're getting you know Brooks can be a six man I think that you're probably right but it, like that's the only really salary because they're you're not trading neither party involved wants to move JV, right? <laughs> like the Blazers don't need him. I mean, you could argue maybe JV's better than Nurk, sure. But like, if it is, the difference is barely anything as much as we've liked both of those guys. I I think that, <laughs> I think it's probably the best option for them to recoup some like semblance of depth because then, you know, Bain is shooting 48, or I don't know what he's shooting. I haven't checked the stats in a while, but you know, last we saw he was shooting 48% from three or something like that. And he's a good defender, right? Like the problem is the salary wouldn't work without justice. And I I think that it's just not going to work in Memphis for justice Winslow, right? Like it's not his fault. I think it's just the situation for him. Isn't, isn't preferable, you know, like he's not really a shooter at all he's basically a backup point guard there. Whereas if you put him in Portland, right. And you surround him with Norm Covington and Dame, I think the shooting concerns become lessened, if that makes sense. Right. Like even if you play him as the backup point guard and you have him run, pick and roll and you put Bain, um, Powell and Covington as a flanking guys, or, you know, you'll have a lot more shooting too. And Dylan Brooks, it, I feel like it's a lot more situational there, but I, I kind of agree with your, um, with your sentiment there. The other thing I was considering. So San Antonio is probably going to not resign to Marderosa, right? They're going to have about $50 million in cap space next summer. So if you're the, um, so you say you want to go for more proven guys, but I mean, what about Vassell and Lonnie Walker and like two first round picks for CJ McCollum? That's fairly interesting. Yeah. I like that a little bit more. Well, man, like I like Bain more than Walker, but I like Vassell more than Winslow. So it's like, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's getting closer. I think 
Like, I still wouldn't be shocked if, like, I think Walker could be a good player. And maybe the problem is that they just have six guards on the floor at all times somehow. And it's just doesn't really work. But I mean, I think Vassell is going to be really solid, like off ball player for a while. Um, and like, we're talking about Sadiq Bailey earlier. I think that's like, like those two guys, I think could have similar careers, just, just knocking down threes for 15 years. Um, so it's interesting. And the, the thing that's important to say as maybe a counter to myself is that I don't think you fix all their problems with just a CJ McCollum trade anyway. So perhaps just getting closer in some way and shoring up your defense to some level of respectability is a good start. And, you know, maybe through free agency or something, you kind of patch up the rest of the holes. But, you know, I I guess, you know, what if you can get younger and add more depth and a little bit better on defense, it's it's probably a fair trade. And like this is this to go back to Memphis. I know this isn't the Memphis podcast, but I think that it it really for me, it works for both teams because you add a bunch of depth of your Portland. Right. And Portland's bench, I mean, really isn't good. We like I I love Mello. You know, he's one of my favorite players ever, but it's just not getting it done at this point. And then you, you know. So you could either bring Brooks or Winslow off the bench. Right. And then start the other one at the three. Brooks is a sneaky six, seven. I don't think he's actually six, seven. I think he's like six, five or something like that. I think that he, I think he's lying a little bit about his height, but listen, you know, who's amongst us, right? <laughs> I tell people I'm seven feet tall all the time. Just kidding. But <laughs> like, you just need something to like plug the holes. Right. And I, I think you're exactly right. You just need to plug the holes and try to get yourself back up, back afloat. Rather than trying, you're not going to get a player as good as CJ McCollum for CJ McCollum. Like, that's not going to be the case here. But if you can get, like, hell, if you could even get the trade that the guy proposed originally that I stole it from with Tyus Jones, you're getting two two really good defenders in Brooks and Winslow. And you're getting a guy who can be explosive on offense in Brooks. And you're getting a really solid backup point guard in Tyus Jones. That's another area of need they have, which we haven't really addressed all year. But I mean, Anthony Simons, God bless him. He showed flashes during this week that I saw, right? I think he can be good, but the problem, he's so young. <laughs> he's a guy that really needs G League reps instead of backup point guard reps to me. I think he needs to probably go down to the G League and just run free, right? But he can't. He's getting 15 minutes a game. I, it, that's just the problem to me. Like this roster has so many holes, but they, the, they get I have such an ability to get the best out of guys, right? Like this, and that I, I guess that'll lead me to my next question, Dylan. If they don't trade CJ, is it time to move on from Terry Stotts? And I, I, I'll just say, I don't think it is. He gets the most out of teams that have no business winning 45 games every year. Like this team is gonna go like 44 and 28 or something like no, they're not gonna go 44. They're gonna go like 38 and 34, right? And this team will be like with the way the roster has been all year, this team should have probably gone 25, 25 wins, right? I think Terry Stotts has an ability as a coach to get the most out of rosters. And we've seen that for the last basically 10 years since he arrived after the um, Raymond Felton year. (laughs) If you remember that Raymond Felton year where they were, I'm pretty sure if you say Raymond Felton's name in Portland, someone will come and punch you. I don't think they like Raymond Felton at all, but 
and I think that's the one, I think Portland's the one place where they don't like Jamal Crawford. <laughs> I think that's the one place he played where he, they're not a fan of him there. But I think that Terry Stotts to me has just done such a good job of getting the most out of his players. And I think that, you know, he shouldn't be fired, but maybe they need to change the voice. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Stotts is the problem at all. And it's just kind of funny. And like, we don't know everything about the way these teams are. Like I was just thinking about Nate McMillan and reportedly there were some locker room issues or whatever. I don't know, but I feel like winning has too much emphasis in by a lot of people. And by winning, I mean like winning, getting to the finals. It's like not every team is, is a finals team. And the Blazers have like, not to say they've really been close because they got to the West finals and did not stand a chance, but it's as we just continue to say, the West is fucking hard. And Hey, like, you know, you had four years where you had the greatest uh, shooting duo on the same team. And Hey, Kevin Durant also joined them for a couple of them. So it's like they, they keep, and now, you know, and then as soon as that's over, LeBron comes out West, like, and Kawhi and PG, like there's, there's just a never ending flow of superstars wanting to go out West. And of course, most of them end up in California. Uh, shockingly, none of them end up in Sacramento, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Sacramento catching fucking strays today. Hey man, they did it to themselves. But uh shout out Harrison Barnes. <laughs> yes, shout out to Harrison Barnes for sure. But uh hey, he's a guy that would be really nice in Portland. Yeah, him but, too. You know, it's just uh it, it's hard to win out west. And like I'm just and we were talking about Dwayne Casey earlier too. Like, I mean, it's very clear that Nick Nurse was a great hire for for the Raptors, but they probably would have won the finals with Dwayne Casey too. I mean, they had that close call against Philly and maybe maybe that small margin of error with Casey there instead of Nurse would have ended the year. I don't know. But, I mean, Dwayne Casey was getting the Raptors to, like, a top three seed every year for a good amount of time. And Nate McMillan, like, the Pacers roster overachieved basically the entire time he was there. And look what happens when he leaves. the pace, And, of course, injuries are a part of it, but – the Pacers fall and the team he takes over in the Hawks jumps up a bunch. Um, so it's like, I just, I feel like we underrate good coaches and search for great coaches, which I understand. And the next team we talk about is going to have another discussion like that, but it's like, you know, there's, there's some guys that are really good at getting you to the playoffs. And there's some guys that are better at winning in the playoffs. And, and I'm not sure if the Blazers problems necessarily fall at Stotts' feet. And, you know, maybe maybe you get rid of him and bring someone else in, and that is what changes it. But it's just hard for me to look at the rosters across the entire conference and say, oh, yeah, the coach is the problem here. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, great can be the enemy of good sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, and there's nothing wrong with thinking that you can take the next step. But look at the Pacers roster. Right. And this is no disrespect to the Pacers, but like they're not a championship roster. They don't have any superstars. Right. Portland, you can at least kind of, you know, okay, 
they have a superstar, but they haven't done anything that made the conference finals once. Well, they've made the conference finals, right? Which is tough in and of itself. They beat the Nuggets, who made the conference finals the very next season, right? And there aren't a whole lot of great coaches. That's the other thing. Like, most of these coaches are just good, right? Like, what did we think about Frank Vogel before? We laughed at the Frank Vogel hire. We thought, like, oh, this is just a proxy hire. They're going to fire him and hire Jason Kidd halfway through at the All-Star break. That didn't happen. Frank Vogel is not going to be the Lakers, or he's not going to be fired anytime soon by the Lakers, barring catastrophic circumstances, right? They've been of one of the best teams in the league, even in spite of not having LeBron James this year and Anthony Davis for a significant portion of time. Like, Stotts has done remarkable work with the Blazers. Like, he has really carried them to a level that they should not have been able to approach at all, especially, right? Like, think about what happened after LaMarcus left. How many people predicted them to make the lottery after LaMarcus left in 2015, right? LaMarcus left before the 2015-16 season, and then I'm pretty sure, I don't remember exactly where they finished, they were a playoff team, right? They've been in the playoffs. They have the longest playoff streak in the NBA. And they're tied with the Raptors, I believe. And if the Raptors miss the playoffs, they'll be in sole position of the longest playoff streak in the NBA. Like, they've been good... And part of it was LaMarcus's, you know, ability. But think about what happened the year after LaMarcus left, right? Wesley Matthews goes to Dallas, I believe. Nick Batum goes to, they trade Nick Batum to Charlotte for Noah Vonley. That trade doesn't work out, right? You, um, Robin Lopez goes somewhere else. I don't remember where Robin, Robin Lopez has been around the whole fucking league at this point. So you basically have Dame and then CJ, who was coming off the bench the year before, who was the sixth man in 2015. And then you bounce back and you make the playoffs. Like Stotts has just really shown remarkable adaptability with his rosters, which he's needed because Zach Collins, the 10th overall pick in 2017, has played like 100 games in the NBA. I think he's played about two seasons worth of games in the NBA. That's it. (laughs) In four years. Like, he, the man has done remarkable work in spite of really shitty circumstances. So, no, I don't think he should be fired at all. I think he's done a great job. I, I'm very much in favor of Terry Stotts keeping his job personally. Yeah. And just another thing. And the ownership of the Blazers is the same that owns Seattle Seahawks, right? Mm hmm. Uh, what the guy just. Paul fired, Allen. Yeah. Paul Allen. Like, look at the Seahawks. They don't fire people either. They've had, I believe, John Snyder's their GM and, and Pete Carroll for fucking ever. So it's like. I and just looking at Neil O'Shea too is the GM of the Blazers, like because some people may call for his head, but as we talked about earlier, like he's he's done a great job of of continually turning over this roster in in the best way possible of trying to figure this thing out, and he's done a good job. He it just hasn't worked out, and that's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of succeeding. Even it's just that everyone else around them is better, and. You know, your your Frank Vogel point was was good because and really it was the perfect point because I mean look what the Pacers were with Frank Vogel. They were in the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row. People were talking about how they had uh one of the best defenses ever. And really, if you look back at LeBron's run in the East, they were the most consistent and probably toughest challenge that he had the entire time. Like after he went to Miami, I should say. Because, you know, Boston had their little time. The Bulls had one chance, really, and they did nothing with it. And 
And then Toronto uh, did nothing. So <laughs> the Pacers, the Pacers had the, they gave LeBron the toughest challenge in the East once he went to Miami. So basically you have what, 10, eight to 10 years of, of that's the best team. And as soon as Paul George gets hurt, uh, Frank Vogel's not our coach. He's not our coach. He's not the guy. Like Paul George, let's look at this season. Paul George came back for seven games. The Pacers were one game away from making the playoffs without Paul George. And that that's just a testament to how good of a coach Vogel was. But as soon as as soon as Paul George gets hurt and you know they don't hold up to expectations, he's gone. As soon as he gets to a team that actually has the players, look, they win the finals in the first year. That just shows like the, the NBA is about the players. It's not about the coaches. The coaches can give you, you know, maybe 5% of a boost or whatever. And sometimes that 5% is enough to win the finals, but everything comes down to the roster and the Blazers have had a good, not great roster. And so they've had good, not great results. Yeah. And I, I real quick, I looked up the, uh, the roster for the 2015 Indiana Pacers. Um, would you like to know who the leading scorer of that team was? Um, George Hill, probably. Yes, that is correct. Would you like to guess who the second and third leading scorers were? Oh, gosh. Uh, was Lance Stevenson on the team at that time? He was not. That was when he was in Charlotte. Okay. Man, who the hell? Um, Rodney Stuckey? He was third at 12.6. That was a fun Rodney Stuckey year, by the way. The the one, the one fun Rodney Stuckey year there was, that was it. Um, man, it couldn't have been Hibbert. David West, maybe? No, David West was fourth. David West, David West kind of sucked that year, actually. This guy was a three-point shooter, three-point marksman. I don't remember the Pacers having a three-point marksman back then. Oh, Lefty. CJ Miles. Yes. Yeah. He wasn't a three-point marksman that year, but that's not dude. I don't think that was his fault. <laughs> yeah. That was a great George Hill year, by the way. Like that, that was the year, and it took Paul George being out to show it. Cause George Hill has been criticized his whole career for not being aggressive enough, which he deserved. Like he definitely wasn't aggressive as he should be. But that was the year he finally took over. And then the very next year they trade him for Jeff Teague. And the rest has been history since. <laughs> It's great. I think let's just go ahead. We, we spent, I think we spent way too much time on this question. Let's go ahead and move on to like we can power through these next two questions. Um, so what have you seen so far? So Norm Powell's a new addition and Nurkic has come back healthy the last couple of weeks. He's been playing on a minutes restriction, but you have to think that'll be lifted in the relatively near future. What have you seen from, that was a really good Nurkic game last night. In addition to the really good Powell game you mentioned, what, let's just start with Powell. What have you liked from Norm Powell so far? I've liked from Norm Powell what I always like from Norm Powell is that he's an awesome player. I mean, like last night, and he's like this all, you know, every night, but last night was really big because it he had a great third quarter, especially, but just just so active on both ends of the floor. Like he's he's such a ball hawk on defense for like jumping passing lanes, and he's he's really good at poking the ball away from a guy that's really not paying attention and just taking it down the other end and that was a big reason why I think Denver had a tough time scoring in that second half because Powell was just all over the place. And on the other end, 
we talked about this last time with Toronto. The first time we talked about Toronto was Powell is just like, it's, he, it's just, it is impossible to stop him getting to the rim. It doesn't matter where the hell he could be tight roping on the, on the baseline or coming with a head of steam from the top of the key. Like he's going to get to the rim and finish. It just doesn't really matter. And that's, that's why I just thought that trade was so good for them because as much as I love Gary Trent scoring, Powell gives them just another off the dribble threat. And, you know, it's, they're going to lose in the first round, but it's going to be tough for whatever team they face to, to stop that trio of scores they have. Cause there's just a lot of offensive versatility there. And, and Powell is just such a, He's, I mean, we've seen it with him and Kyle Lowry, but he's a, such a great compliment to an awesome point guard that attracts a lot of attention. And playing off of Dame now, and even CJ, like he's, he just gets a lot of good looks. And, you know, he gets a lot of good open jump shot attempts too. So I've, I've just continued to love his play this season. Yeah. The drives point is an excellent thing. Like it feels like he can finish anything, especially attacking off a closeout. Like I, I pulled up the NBA.com stats and I pulled up the drives page currently at, so Dame is leading the team with 14 drives a game. Obviously Norm has only played 14 games, but he's basically playing how he was in Toronto. 7.4 drives a game for Norm in 14 games. Pretty good number, you know, third behind CJ. CJ's at 8.1. So like, I feel like he's coming out. He's been very aggressive. Like he's been all year, frankly. And the shooting's been down in Portland, but I think that he can still make shots when you need him to make shots. He was really hot in Toronto. I don't think anyone can deny that. Like he, but he was a little streaky too, but I think that norm to me, he's just going to be the guy that's going to make a difference. And he gives them a transition element that they really didn't have. You know, Dame and CJ are older now. Like Dame and CJ are almost like in their thirties or almost 30, right. In CJ's case. And CJ has been dealing with like a messed up back. So they're not really wanting to get out and run, but Norm, you can hit ahead and transition and he'll get a basket for you. So I really like what Norm's been doing for them. Um, What about Nurkic? What have you liked from Nurkic so far? Yeah, it's just been like a limited sample size of, of the whole Nurkic shelf. I don't know what the hell you call a collection of talents. (laughs) Suitcase. I don't know. We got to come up with something um, unless I'm just forgetting it, but I mean, he's, he's averaging like 23 minutes a game this year. So, you know, it's, it's just not been a lot. He's only played 23 games. So, you know, the, the scoring average is way down and in, in the passing and, and pretty much all the numbers. But I mean, like you said, last night, we got a good showcase of, of the Nurkish we know and love with like late in the game, he had a, it must have been Dame. He had a bounce pass from the top of the key to one of the guards down low. There was like the perfect pass, like right through the tight, a tight window. And it was like, that's, that's what you like about Nurkic. And I was thinking about our discussion last week with the centers. And I'm like, if you put Capella on that team, like that pass is not being made, you know? And that's, that's why I had Nurkic above Capella because I just think his ability to pass and you have, and I mean, we see it with Jokic and obviously no one is going to equal Jokic's passing ability at the center position, but Nurkic is just a good example of, of like a, a still really good passer at the center position, what you can have. And when you have 
a bunch of shooting and cutters around you, like having a guy like that that can pass is, is huge. And, and just having Powell there with dribble handoffs is going to be great too. Like I, and that's, that's why it's so sad that we know, we know the fate of this Portland team because I just love this roster so much. And, and Nurkic is definitely a, a large piece of that. Yeah. And like the, since he's come back from his injury, he's averaging four assists a game. He's only played 22 minutes. So you bump that up to 30, that's like five or six assists a game. I think that his assist production has been, you know, I have him on my fantasy team, so I'm monitoring him closely. He, he gets a lot of, uh, a lot of like six assist games and he's on still a minutes limit. So once he's off the minutes limit, I want to see what happens. But Last night against Jokic was probably his best defensive game he's played that I've seen, at least. He just was, you know, Jokic, he was really bothering Jokic. He was being really physical with him, which is what you need Nurk to do. But I think that, I don't know. I just feel like we're not going to relitigate the center debate. We we just don't have time. <laughs> I, I'm always a fan of Nurkic's skill set. Like, you know, you know, I called him basically joke, you know, a redux. And if he can do what he did in the bubble last year, where he basically was the Portland's second best player behind Dame, then I think that they're in a great spot. But I want to see him. I want to see him with more of a minutes load. They really need to ramp it up because they only got like 14 games left. (laughs) So there's not a whole lot of time for them to ramp it up. But he could be the difference in a Clippers series. Who knows? But I think let's go ahead in the interest of time. Let's go ahead and move on to our last uh, Portland topic. And that is I asked you, well, we're both going to rank these guards and this is probably the toughest rank we've had. So rank these guards in terms of performance this year. And it is Dame Lillard, Steph Curry, CP three, Kyrie, James Hart. Now Dylan, these are basically, I would say the five best guards in the league this year, making it extraordinarily tough. I'll let you go first. Who do you have as your five? So I'll just say to start off that this is going to be a little bit different than my all NBA team was because I just have different, I look at these things differently depending on the the question, like all NBA, it's basically pure production, but with ranking, I, I include some other things and I'll discuss in the, the final two players, why I made the decision I did. But so Steph, I mean, that's easy. Easy number one right there. I probably could have left him off this list, but I, I, you know, I wanted to include him just because. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just whenever steps healthy, man, like he's, he's going to pretty much blow everyone away. Like the past few years, I mean, as much, as much as we love Dame, I think it's pretty easy to say that Harden is like the only guy that's even been kind of close to, to Curry as far as production. I mean, and, and I'll just leave me right to the second guy. Harden is number two. And I had a tough time a little bit because I was I wanted to put Dame there, but I'm like, man, Harden's efficiency has just been insane this year. And as soon as he got to Brooklyn, like they really started to flip that switch. Um, and he's had a lot of help, but again, they've as we discussed earlier, a ton of injuries. So um, unfortunately, he's dealing with his now, but he's been having to deal with everyone else's injuries um, along the way, and he's he's done a really good job this year and. I think he would be more of an MVP candidate if he, if he didn't burn Houston on the way out. Just just for narrative's sake, I I just would have a tough time voting for him because, you know, it it was just a bad look and he just didn't seem to care. 
for like the first month and a half of the year. And that's just not a good look, but that's not the discussion. So Dame number three, I mean, pretty self-explanatory. He's just, uh, he's going to die as a, a 30 point scorer. Like that's just what he is. It, it'll be on his gravestone that he averaged 30 points for his, his career. Like that's just who he is. And he's still doing it now. And then the last two, this is where I had a tough time because I put Kyrie on my second team just because I think this has been his best all around year. It, it, you know, it hasn't been maybe his best scoring year. It hasn't been his best year as far as achievements, but I just think all around as a player, including passing and defense, I think Kyrie has been, uh, has had a career year, but and there may be a little bias in this because I just watched the Suns, but I put CP3 ahead of Kyrie because just look at CP3 the past two years. That Thunder team was not supposed to be as good as it was, but because of CP3, they were a playoff team. This Suns team, people were like, yeah, they're maybe in seventh or eighth seed. No, they're the second seed. And it's because Chris Paul has done the perfect job of setting these young guys up for success while also stepping in and hitting the shots down the stretch when they really need them. And I just think he's done such a great job of that. Like he has really empowered both Booker and Aiton to do their own thing. He's, he's willingly giving the ball to them so they can do their own thing. And there's not many, there's not, I mean, Chris Paul has always been like a pass first type of guy. But there's not many superstars in the league that are going to join a team and just say, yeah, I'll step aside so you can be awesome. And, like, Jimmy Butler is really the only other guy I can think of that has really gone out of his way to do that. And CP3 this year has just been such a huge impact on everyone there. Like, even Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, like, all those guys are are succeeding because Chris Paul is there. And – but again, when they need him at the end of the game, he he shows up. So I just think the impact that he's had on that Suns team is, has just been amazing this year. And as good as Kyrie's been, I think uh, I value a little bit more what CP3 has done for, for those around him. Uh, this is distressing to me because, you know, I love giving different answers than you. Unfortunately, I had the exact same five. Listen, it's pretty cut and dried. I think your order is the correct order. I mean, Harden, before Steph went fucking supernova, he was the best guard in the NBA. Like, but then Steph, the, like, even since the All Star break, has just been when Harden was playing, he's just been better than that. So I really I can't add anything else to your list. I mean, really, it's we have the same one. So that's that's kind of boring, but you know. Dame, it's not Dame's fault that he's third. He's been playing out of his mind. It's just everyone else, you know, like Harden and Steph has been better. And that's how it's been the last however many years, you know, like Dame's a top 10 player, but he's not the a top two guard. And that's usually, you usually can't say that about a guard. Usually if you have a guard in the top 10, usually he's in the top two, but, and Chris Paul in Phoenix, like my God, <laughs> It's a tour de force. He is going to be on my All-NBA team. He wasn't on my All-NBA team at the first half, but there's no way. And it sucks because Devin Booker is averaging 25 points a game, but Chris Paul just makes his life so much easier. 
And that's, I think that's why you got to have him on the NBA team. And then Kyrie, Kyrie's been playing the best basketball of his life this year. I didn't think I'd say that, but he is, but he just isn't as good as those other guys. And there's nothing wrong with that. So we ready to move on to the Bucks, Dylan. Oh yes. You know, I'm ready. (laughs) All right. So they're 35 and 22 good for third in the Eastern conference. They only had three games this week. So we had a pretty, they're actually playing right now against the 76ers. I'm not going to bother to check the score, but it should be around halftime or somewhere around there. So on Thursday, they beat the Hawks 120 to 109. They then lost to the Grizzlies 128 to 115. And then they lost a nail biter to the Phoenix Suns. It was real close. It was a foul call that was kind of questionable. I'd probably lean towards it being a foul, but um, you know, whatever. <laughs> so they lost the Suns 128 to 127. Dylan, let's just jump right into the big picture questions for this one. Have we seen any different approaches from Bud in this year's regular season? You know, I'm not going to act like I've watched every game and like nailed down on, on everything they've done, but everything I've seen is like, is pretty much the same. And I think the only difference is just that Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday addition was that that's where I'm seeing the biggest difference just in play style, because Holiday is just a different player than Eric Bledsoe. Like, I mean, Holiday is just a lot more aggressive and like, he seems like he just understands what he needs to do a lot more than Bledsoe did. So you don't really have, you don't have Middleton and Giannis kind of making up for that at the end of the shot clock or whatever. Like there's, there's just a better understanding of how to do things now with holiday there. But as far as like scheme, I just, I haven't seen a ton of differences. And, and the fact that you asked that question, I wonder if if you've seen anything, but I was, I was looking for some stuff and there just wasn't anything that really stood out to me. All right, so I'll tell you what I've seen that's different. I'll kind of, it's kind of like a bullet points kind of thing. First of all, in crunch time, they're playing, the Brook Lopez isn't out there at all, right? During, and this is obviously is coming off of the one crunch time game they had this week, which was the game against Phoenix, but that was a team that's on their level comparably. I would say probably Milwaukee's better than Phoenix, but so the, the closing lineup, right? They didn't close with Lopez. They closed with Tucker, PJ Tucker, a trade uh, deadline acquisition, rather than Brooke Lopez. And they're kind of what this allows them to do is it allows them to play more of a perimeter style on the pick and roll. From what from what I've seen, right? Like they really are making an attempt to show on the pick and rolls rather than just playing ex- excessive drop coverage, right? Like you don't you don't have PJ Tucker out there to play drop, right? And you don't play drop with Giannis. From what I like, from what I've seen. And then the other thing that I've seen on offense is that they run a lot more pick and rolls in crunch time with Giannis as the role man. Like, and Drew Holiday in particular is really able to take advantage of this. Like in the Suns game, Drew Holiday was getting what he wanted off of the pick and rolls with Giannis because, I mean, Chris Paul is one of the best point guard defenders of all time, but off of Giannis screen, it's hard to stick with, you know, hard to stick with Holiday. I think that that those two things, I'm really liking those particular changes, not a lot else has changed, right? Like, yes, it still is the core tenets of, you know, four guys out, one guy in Giannis is the guy that's it, right? Like that's the core tenet of the offense. But I think that that's the main difference I've seen, at least. I don't know if you would agree with that, like after me pointing it out, but I think that I don't think they're going to get as roasted. Like if they play the heat this year, right? Like, I don't think they're going to, you know, 
they're going to be as hard on Robinson leaving, you know, Dragic wide open to roast them, right? I, I don't know if that's going to happen again this year. I, it might. It might because Bud, you know, coaches tend to fall back on what they what they know best. But I think that I think that there's a real shot that Bud may may have learned his lesson and learned that his job is on the line. <laughs> yeah, my thing is just that I don't think it should take crunch time for you to to get rid of Lopez. And and it's not only that they're get, getting rid of Lopez. I don't think Tucker should be the five. Like I'm just. I'm dead set on Giannis being the five. Like I, and until I see it not work in the playoffs, I'm going to say that's what they need to do. And I, I have numbers for you because you know, that's just how it works here. So, and this kind of leads into the next question with, with the, the closing lineup. So I did some digging through the lineup stats. And again, this is low possessions because Bud, doesn't want to run Giannis at the five that much. But there's a lineup. Drew Holiday, Dante DiVincenzo, Pat Connaughton, Chris Middleton, Giannis. 66 possessions. What do you think the plus minus is? I don't know. Um, plus, I guess plus 20. 37.8. And again, very low sample size. So, and if you scroll down on the lineups, there's some bad ones too that are even lower. So like, it's just, when you have under a hundred possessions, it's kind of hard. I think a hundred possessions is a good place. Cause that's basically a full game. So it's like, you know, that's, that's a good place to kind of get to. And, and 66 is not enough, especially at this point in the season, it's a very small sample size, but I just like the framework of that kind of lineup. And I've been going back and forth of whether I'd rather have Tucker or Connaughton out there. I actually think maybe it's depending on the team they face, but I actually think I would rather have Connaughton because I just think Tucker doesn't really give you anything on offense at this point. And I mean, Connaughton doesn't give you a ton either, but like he's a pretty reliable off ball shooter. And I mean, on any given night, he could give you three to four threes and that could be the difference maker. And Tucker, like, has to be in the corner. And there, otherwise, it's not going to happen. And, you know, obviously there's the defensive stuff, but that lineup is so good defensively. I don't think you need Tucker. I don't think it – I think it may be a little bit defensive overkill to have Tucker out there. And, you know, you sent me some stats yesterday about Giannis in isolation versus Giannis is the pick-and-roll big man and – he he's a little bit more efficient as isolation, but here's some counters. Okay. So first of all, pick and roll big man, he only has a 6% frequency for that. So 6% of his offense comes from him as the pick and roll big man. So he is putting up 1.01 points per possession in that, which is not, not great. If you look at Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis, who are the two other like centers on the roster, Brooke Lopez, 18% usage rate, 1.15 points per possession. Bobby Portis, 17.5% usage rate, 1.18. So that just makes me think if you use Giannis more in that role, he's going to score more. And I think that lower number is more of a lack of usage than lack of production. Really. It's just another small sample size. And as you just talked about, Drew holiday made a living out of throwing lobs to Anthony Davis. 
Why could he not do the same with Giannis and Tenacupo? And Chris Middleton's good pick and roll too. He's just better at getting his own shot off of that. So I think you could even empower Chris Middleton more if you have Giannis out there as the lone big man because he's just going to get fucking wide open threes all day. And we've seen what that what happens with that. He's going to knock him down. And if you have if you have Giannis's guy kind of hedge, then Giannis has a wide open lane to the rim. And listen, Giannis is playing excellently right now, and and he always has, or for the past few years at least. But there's you can close him off in the paint, and we see it in the playoffs every year. And against the Suns the other night, um, I think it was the end of regulation. He was you know tunneling towards the rim. And he slips on the floor. And that just seems like it happens a lot. And if you if you are relying on him to get to the rim and he kind of has a double team and slips and fumbles the ball out of bounds, then you're going to lose. And there was another play earlier in the game where Phoenix closed him off. They had two guys in front of him. He tried to kick it out to, I think, Bryn Forbes, and he just way overthrew it. And that's just what happens. Like, if he gets shut down – He's got to find other guys, and sometimes the the rest of the defense is just going to shut down those lanes. And I just don't think you can rely on him being the isolation creator the entire game. I think for the majority of the game, that's the way to go. We've seen that that's, that's good enough. But I just think we need to see a lot more of him as the pick-and-roll big man because not only is it going to allow him to get to the rim easier, but it's going to empower – Holiday in Middleton a lot more too. That's a good point. I, uh, my problem. <laughs> okay, so first question. First question. Would you like do offense for defense lineups, right? Like, let's just say you're in the last minutes of a game where you have, you know, you're running Connaughton and DiVincenzo out there, and then you sub in um, Tucker for one of those two. Like, on, like if the other team calls a timeout, right? So let's just say Brooklyn calls a timeout. And they are, um, they call timeout. They're inbounding the ball on their side. Would you sub in Tucker for one of DiVincenzo and Connaughton? Okay, here's the thing about Tucker Tucker is undoubtedly a great defender, right? But we have seen over the past handful of years that the guys that they really need him to defend, he doesn't do the job that they want him to do. Like every, every time, you know, whether it be LeBron, I guess, in either conference is really the main one, but, and then you can say, sure, like they're not, he's not in the same conference as LeBron now. So it's not as big a deal, but you know, they all, they still have Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler and, and Katie and Harden, their conference and, and Tatum, like, can he shut any of those guys down? I think he can make it harder for him, but he's been put in the spotlight before and just not done it. And it's not because he's bad defender. It's because he's just not as a good defender as those guys are on offense. So I almost think I'd rather have Connaughton out there because if listen, no one is guarding Connaughton at the three point line. It just, he gets open all the time because he is the least important guy out there at every time. And even DiVincenzo is kind of too. when you have three awesome ball handlers, there's going to be help to the point where one of those guys get open. And if you have Tucker buried in the corner, there's probably going to be someone close enough to recover. Maybe, maybe he gets the shot off and it goes in. I don't know. But 
I almost think I'd rather have Connaughton or DiVincenzo just kind of moving around and floating away from the ball because if they get an open three-point shot, I just trust them a lot more to hit it. And at the same time, those guys are not bad defenders. Like, they're smaller than Tucker, but it's not like they're just Doug McDermott. You know, they're not going to give the guy a lane to the basket automatically. So I just don't think that it's that big of a trade-off from offense to defense to have either of those guys out there over Tucker. Yeah, I I could see that. I just think that you're probably not going to have Tucker guarding like a main guy, right? Like, and so I feel like you're not going to have any holes, right? With even if you have, it's just tough because Connaughton and uh, DiVincenzo play completely different positions. So it's a different context. But like in any case, I feel like the lineup versatility, right? Like if you're playing a bigger team, you can throw Tucker out there and he can muscle some guys, right? Like if you're playing a smaller team, you can have Connaughton or Connaughton out there and it'll be, you know, completely fine. DiVincenzo is playing crunch time. I think he's earned it. He's, he's been good. Yep. It's just like, okay. The Giannis points you brought up are very, I concede those. My thing is Middleton. I think Middleton's improved enough. Like Middleton's assists this year have jumped to 5.6, right? And you have Drew Holiday with 5.5. Like if you have those guys handling in the pick and roll and Giannis rolling, I think it'll be fine, right? Like where, because both of those guys are very skilled scorers. Drew Holiday's, the criticism of Drew Holiday has never been about his ability as a scorer. It's never been about that. It's always been about his ability as a playmaker, but I mean, he doesn't have to be the primary one on this team. Like they're all basically the primary playmaker in essence. So I think that Drew, not being Eric Bledsoe is a huge plus, right? (laughs) And not playing Brooke Lopez in crunch time, I think will help them a lot too. I think that first of all, Brooke Lopez should be a six man at this point, just full stop. Like, no offense to Brooke, you know, he's been, a, he's been a great player and he was really good for Milwaukee three years ago, but this is three years ago. He's 32. Now he's getting older as a center. I think that my, okay. My lineup would probably be, I'd probably go Giannis Middleton holiday, even Chenzo Tucker, and maybe even throw Portis out there. I think Portis has been good enough to maybe earn a spot out there, but I, I don't trust Connaughton. I'm sorry. I've seen it all these years I just I I feel like he leaves a lot to be desired when the game is on the line right like I feel like I could trust him in those 15 minutes you have him out there for but after that like he's playing 23 minutes a game this year and I think that's just like the perfect regular season amount I think that's going to probably get cut to 18 in the playoffs I can Connaughton is a good shooter like I feel like he's been one of the reasons like he's really good in the regular season right but then in the playoffs he just hasn't stepped up to the plate in the past two, two, three years. And he's really good. I like Pat Connaughton, but I think that, you know, Tucker has been out there for, you know, however long now, right. You know, he, I trust him to hit shots more. And then Portis is just more dynamic offensively than either of them. I don't think he's as good defensively as either of those two, but I think that Portis, you know, will definitely earn some crunch time minutes in the playoffs, but, um, I think in the interest of time, because this one is running a lot longer than I think we both anticipated it would. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the next question. Is this the best we've seen Giannis play? 
and I'll just go off the bat. I say yes. I feel like he's gotten better, like with the touch inside. It's like subtle improvements for me, right? Like he's gotten better with the touch inside. He's gotten he's a better passer than he used to be. You're right. He does still slip on the floor sometimes, but I mean, you know, he's moving at the very fast that with a very long body. You know, I think that's bound to happen at some point. But what do you think, Dylan? Is this the best you've ever seen Giannis play? Yeah. And like, I mean, he's, he's in his prime. Like he's, he's going to continue to be awesome with things he's been awesome at, and he's going to slightly improve in other areas. And I mean, I think the jump shot is it's passable at this point, you know, like it's, you still don't, you're not going to rely on that, but it's good enough where you don't love leaving him completely wide open. Like teams still do it, but he's proven he can knock it down at least enough. Like he's not airballing every time he throws it up like he used to, really. So, yeah, I mean he's 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 awesome, and like that. That's why I'm just I'm excited for a future, whether Bud is there or not, of him actually being able to take it to that next level. Because, I mean, I just I think the comparisons with him and LeBron are so. I mean, he has a much better team than LeBron did at this stage in his career, but it's a lot of the same criticisms. Like we knew how good LeBron was. Well, I'm not going to say we, cause I was like 10. I didn't know what the hell was going on, but the, the people that did like knew how good he was. It's just, he didn't, he didn't do it yet. And like, you know, he did get to the finals pretty early on in his career, but he got blown out. And again, not his fault. Um, and you could say the same thing about Giannis, like very similar game, like just doesn't have the jump shot, does everything else. Awesome. And, uh, well, let me just say, if he has the same career arc as LeBron and gets the jump shot LeBron has now, then he may have a similar run to LeBron with maybe not making 10 straight finals, but, uh, he's going to be tough to stop, but we're, we're living in the moment. So we're not going to get ahead of ourselves, but, uh, yeah, for right now, I mean, I think he's, he's definitely playing it at a peak level. Yeah. I think that's, that said it perfectly. If he ever can shoot like at all, then it's over for the league. I mean, where he's at now is fine, right? Like he's not, it's crazy that we can't do this comparison, but inside he's not Zion, but I mean, he's probably the next best thing, right? Like he's shooting 79% at the rim on 450 attempts, right? Like the touch is absurd. Like you saw some of those shots he was hitting over Aiden, like Aiden was playing ridiculously good defense on Giannis. And that's probably the best game I've ever seen Aiden play, first of all. Yeah, and Giannis just was. It didn't matter because Giannis was just getting whatever he wanted inside for the most part. He, Aiton did stonewall him like a few times, but not anything significant. Like it took that kind of game to think that he was slowing Giannis down inside. So you're right; they can probably build a wall against him. But I feel like you know, a again, this cannot be emphasized enough. <laughs> not having Bloodsoe out there is a huge, huge improvement for the. <laughs> For the bucks so we could put a billboard up and it still wouldn't be enough we could write it in the sky with a plane it cannot be emphasized enough that's going to be terrible for the environment right knowing what we know about um like fuel and stuff like writing that with the exhaust smoke in this cloud well, is that is that actually what it is though is it i, I don't know enough about i the have subject. no idea i mean i would like to think that that high you could just squirt out water and it would turn like that but I, I don't understand science at all. So who the hell knows? Yeah, we're not science majors. We were journalism majors. So exactly. <laughs> um, on our last topic for the uh, for the night, 
Um, so we're going to do what we did with the, to the jazz last week. And we're going to rank our chances of beating the top teams, except we did throw some Western conference teams in there because we, we realized that there's a lot better chance of the bucks making the finals than the jazz. So let's go ahead and start in the conference and the team that they would play in the second round, right at this moment in time would be the Brooklyn nets. So Dylan, what percent chance did you give the bucks of beating the nets? So I actually gave it an even 50, 50 split because I mean, first of all, like it's just impossible to look over Brooklyn's injuries and one of those guys going down automatically tilted in the Bucks' favor pretty significantly. But even if they're healthy, I actually like the, the matchups for the Bucks a lot. And this is a series like it, when I say I want Giannis at the five, I don't mean for 48 minutes a game. I just mean more than he is now. But against the Nets, they could do it for 48 minutes because the Nets run so small. And if you have Giannis at the five, like if I'm the Nets, I don't think I want to go small against the Bucks because I'm not going to say it's a better opportunity for the Bucks than the Nets because the Nets have a lot of talent. But the Bucks, I don't know, man. The Bucks might beat them if if the Nets want to go small. Like, I mean, just think about the defensive matchup, like. I mean, watching Drew Holiday play defense is just – we saw what he did against Damian Lillard a few years ago, right? He could do that same thing to Kyrie. I'm not saying he will, but he could. And, you know, hard, and you're not going to shut him down, but you could throw one of those guys at him, Middleton or something, and it's not going to be easy. Um, you know, all those other guys out there, like you could put Giannis on KD or one of the other guys, Tucker, and, you know, you're going to have – a decent chance. Like you're not going to stop them, but just as far as matchups, like I think the bucks would have probably the best chance in the conference of matching up defensively. And I mean, we know that the nets aren't a great defensive team and they're better than they were, but they're still not great. And I mean, I, I just wouldn't be shocked if, if in a seven game series, drew holiday outplayed Kyrie Irving. Like I, I'm not expecting it, but I wouldn't be shocked. And if that happens, then it gets a lot tighter. So I, I think it would be a really close series. I mean, we, we don't even have to go back to the Damian Lillard series, Dylan. Did you watch the Hawks game last week? I did not, but now I want to. Yeah, Drew, Drew ate Trey for lunch, and Trey is another guy that went down. I think he had a grade two ankle sprain, but I don't. I think he'll be back soon. So I don't think that's big of enough a deal for us to cover. But yeah. Yeah, Drew ate Trey for lunch, man. Like, it wasn't. <laughs> I went back and watched all of Trey's field goal attempts. And it was just brutal because he either had. So this is another thing, right? Like, he either had Drew trailing him, right? Like, on the pick and roll after, you know, Capella, Capella sets good screens. But Drew is one of those guys that can fight through most any screen and get over the top and do what he needs to do. And then they had, like... <laughs> And, you know, Trey defaults the floaters. He doesn't go for layups. So Brooks' length actually bothered him. So it was actually kind of a perfect game plan and kind of why I don't think the Hawks can actually beat. I don't think the Hawks can get a game off of any of the top teams in the conference. But <laughs> let's go. I had the uh, the Nets at a 40%. I think the Bucks have a 40% chance of beating the Nets because I think the top two guys on Brooklyn, whoever they are, are just more explosive than the Milwaukee guys. But I also, I can't discount Milwaukee size, right? Like Middleton 
and Giannis are going to be bigger than most of the guys that Brooklyn is going to try out there. So I think that's, I think it has potential to be as good as the second round series between the Sixers and the Raptors a couple of years ago. I think it legitimately can be that great. It's going to be the best second round series in a while or not in a while. Cause that second round series was two years ago, but it's going to be one of the great second round series. I would say. Yeah. And, and another thing that we didn't even, I don't, I don't know how this slipped through, but we didn't talk about LaMarcus Aldridge or was that, was that, did we talk about that last week? That was last week. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I lost track of time with that. I thought it was since then, but LaMarcus Aldridge is in that series. I think that would be a huge difference having him at the five, like seriously in the, in the two weeks that he played with the nets, I thought his defense at the rim was good. And, and having a guy that's just that tall defending the rim, like I think he would give Giannis like at least a tougher time of making those shots. And, you know, I guess you could say Nick Claxton could do that, but I don't know. I just, Nick Claxton's very young and inexperienced and we know DeAndre Jordan's not doing it. So that, that LaMarcus Aldridge thing is that that could be like the difference maker in that type of situation. Yeah. And LaMarcus was packing on 250, and I'm guessing that was probably lighter than what he actually weighed 250. They just seem to throw, they seem to give 250 to anybody. <laughs> like, I don't think that all these guys actually weigh 250. Like what do they have Giannis at? I'm curious. They have Giannis at 242. There's no way he's 242. He has to be like 260. Like that man is ripped. See, I think it's, that's it's tough for the tall guys. Cause like they look skinny, but you wreck. It's like, well, maybe they would be 240 if they were six, seven, but <laughs> when you're seven feet, you know, you got to add some weight on there. Like I'm going to go to the Milwaukee Bucks team page. Cause we're going to see, we're going to get, cause there's no way he actually weighs only 242. That feels like a couple years ago. I'm, tr- I'm going to look at the, um, so I, there's, no, I just feel like there's no way he's only 242, right? Like I know basketball reference can be kind of weird about that. So they have not No, they have him at 242. So apparently he weighs 242 pounds. I'm calling bullshit, but you know, with how he moves, it doesn't move like 242. It moves like 280. So that could be a series where Giannis averages like 35 points a game. I feel like, and I, I really, I really hope that series happens right now. Brooklyn's a half game behind Philadelphia and Philadelphia is kind of going through their own injury problems, but if Philadelphia has a tiebreaker over Brooklyn, so if Philadelphia finishes at, like tied with Brooklyn, they'll finish as the first seed. But speaking of Philadelphia, Dylan Hughes, your percent odds of the bucks beating the 76ers. I'm saying 35. Mm. See, this is a series where I don't think I want Giannis playing the center that much because he has to deal with Embiid. And that's just a lot of wear and tear. I mean, Embiid is going to trash anyone, including Giannis, most likely. But you don't – so you just – knowing that, you don't want to throw Giannis in harm's way like that. And Brooke Lopez is the perfect guy to do it, man. Throw him in the fire. And, like, just size-wise, I actually think Lopez could do something against Embiid. I mean, like, Embiid's good enough on the perimeter where he would probably just drag Lopez out there and beat him off the dribble or something. But, and by the way, that's another reason to not have Lopez on there. Like, he got switched on to Devin Booker the other night and just lost him. And thank God Giannis was back to to block the shot. But as soon as I saw that, I'm like, yeah, get this dude out of here. Um, but, yeah, man, and, like, Philly, Philly and, and Milwaukee are just very similar in that they don't have like the, they don't have the golden state shooting. So like 
you know, like the shooting that we have seen win titles over the past few years, neither of these teams have, like from their star players at least. And that's just why it's it's an interesting test case almost to see if one of them can eventually break through and and make the finals without it. But it's um, – I just think Philly's size is, is going to be too much. And, I mean, I think Milwaukee can match up with anyone defensively, but Embiid is just another case. And there's there's no one in the, in the East like Embiid. And it's just hard to match him. And you're going to have to do it elsewhere. And the Bucks definitely could. But I don't know. I just, I just like how Philly's played this year and how Tobias Harris has played. Like T- Tobias Harris is like, I think he's the X factor because if he can play like he's been playing this year, he makes it a lot tougher to, to knock them out. So I, I just think Philly has been a little bit too good this year and Embiid has been a little bit too good this year for Milwaukee to handle. So, okay. I had a 50 50 shot. I think that it's okay. I understand where you're coming from with the Embiid stuff. However, neither of us, I think it's safe to say, trust Danny Green in a series. And Ben Simmons, as much as we love him, hasn't been a particularly effective playoff player. Right? So if you get it to Embiid in the post, why don't you just throw Giannis down there to double him? Right? Like, Embiid, it's going to be a tougher double team than Embiid usually deals with. A. B, you throw Middleton on... um, you throw Middleton on Tobias and that I'm not saying it neutralizes it, but you probably get 75% of what you get from Tobias. Tobias does have a size advantage, but I don't, you're not going to throw it to, in the post to Tobias when it beads right there. Right. And then I would just leave Danny green open. Like I know that hasn't been an effective strategy in the past for much of NBA history, but he's 34 years old <laughs> or he's 33. Excuse me. He's going to turn 34 by the time these teams play each other. Probably if they play each other, I, I think that Philadelphia can get beat. I think Philadelphia is a very fallible team. I think, first of all, I think Milwaukee's roster is just playing better than Philadelphia's. That's that's point A. I do think Embiid is more explosive than Giannis, but I think Giannis is better than Embiid. Like, I think that Giannis, just throw the length at him, right? Have Giannis play free safety because you don't have to guard Ben. <laughs> like, what if you throw it to Ben and if you throw it to Joel in the post, why do you have to guard Ben on the perimeter? That's the time old question, right? Like, and we'll see if Doc can, you know, actually answer it with some effective options. But like, I just feel like you don't have to guard Ben Simmons. So that neutralizes that, right? What are you going to do? Throw him in the dunker spot like they have in every other playoff? I think that Milwaukee, and then you throw Drew Holiday on Seth Curry and you neutralize Seth Curry. I think that's probably the way to go. But I, I think, listen, Joel has just been a monster. I want to see if he can keep it up in the playoffs because he traditionally hasn't really been able to. And I, I want to see I want to see Ben and Joel in the playoffs. That's really the, the question is your. We'll have the Sixers next week, so we'll we'll be able to answer some of these. We'll have some Sixers questions next week. But I don't know. I think that the Philly matchup, I think that I would probably, I'd say it's right down the middle. I could see it really going either way. So... I just translated everything you said in my head right now. And what it's spitting back out to me is that you think that if the, if Philly still had TJ McConnell, this would be an easy decision, but without him, it's 50, 50. Trust the process. That's all I got to (laughs) say. I mean, TJ McConnell, I really want to see him in a playoff series because I I really want to see what they would do about his shooting as outside shooting. But 
I mean, he was better than Ben Simmons a few years ago. Like they, I mean, not the, like, I think they eventually went back to Simmons, but like they, they benched Simmons for TJ McConnell. Like that is legitimately something that happened and it, and it helped. Like I, TJ McConnell is, I think one of the few players in the league that has just not succumbed to his lack of shot. Like everyone else seems to struggle with it. And I don't know, like TJ McConnell just figures out, figures it out somehow. And I, we haven't seen him a ton in the playoffs, but we did for a little bit. And like, he was, he was pretty good. And I think he's gotten a lot better since uh, coming to the Pacers. So for, for future sake, I'm very interested to see that. Can, can I also present a little bit of st- statistical evidence on Hughes? Oh yes. So I pulled up Stathead, the comparison site. So Giannis attended Kumbo in games between these two. They played eight games against each other. Um, 34 points a game. 14 rebounds, 6.6 assists on 53% from the field. Joel Embiid, 26.5 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 blocks. They're each averaging about 2 blocks on 39.8% from the field. Hmm. So I I just feel like the Bucks are a bad matchup for the Sixers. But then you throw Simmons on either Holiday or Middleton. And it's over. You basically are taking them out of the game. So it, it's really going to be fascinating. Like the Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be fascinating for the top three seeds. And then also when the uh, the Sixers destroy the Hawks in the second round, that's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see. But I think it's time to move on to our next team, and that is the Los Angeles Lakers. So they're the presumptive favorites to make it out of the West, as we both know. I'll just go ahead and give my percentage for the Lakers here. I have it as a 35% chance they beat the Lakers just because I don't know about the Lakers health. If the Lakers are fully healthy, it's a 15% chance and that's probably high. So what do you have for the Lakers? Yeah, I went with 30. I mean, it's just, I, the, I think the Bucks recipe for success is being the bigger team. And that's why I think Philly beats him, and that's why the Lakers easily beat him. I mean, hell, having Drummond and AD, there's no fucking way the Bucks keep up with that. Like the, I think the Bucks succeed when they have the advantage with like the smaller guys, or it's at least close, and then Giannis can push you over the top. But when they, with all that size down low, there's just there's just no way. Yep, couldn't set it any better myself let's go ahead and move on to the next team we can kind of buzz through these next two teams before we uh before we get out of here all right the los angeles clippers i gave the bucks a 60 percent chance of beating the clippers because they have a massive size advantage against the clippers and then Kawhi is going to be tough right Kawhi shut down Giannis the last time they played but i mean you stick middleton on pg and you neutralize pg right and then what guards do they have do the Clippers have that are on Drew Holiday's level? So I think the Bucks, it's crazy to say they have more firepower than the Clippers. And I I would favor the Clippers, the Bucks. Well, who would you favor in that series? Yeah, I said 60% for the Bucks as well. I mean, listen, if it's gonna come down to Reggie Jackson and Drew Holiday, I think everyone knows who we're picking. <laughs> I mean, like Kawhi and PG, that's that's all the Clippers really have. And again, matchup wise, I just think the Bucks could easily overcome that. I mean, maybe not easily, but they're gonna they could overcome that. And Drew Holiday is like the cherry on top. So I, 
I would be surprised if if the Bucks didn't pull out of that one. And so let's go ahead and move on to the Nuggets. I gave the Bucks a 55% chance of beating the Nuggets. I feel like the, the Nuggets don't really have anyone to guard Giannis or Middleton or Holiday. And I think that kind of gives them the edge. I do think Jokic gives them problems. And a Jokic like Barton even two-man game would give them problems. Barton was really good against Portland yesterday. But what do you have for the Nuggets? Yeah, I said 55% as well. I mean, pretty much the exact same reasons. Like, Jokic is going to cause problems. And if Jamal Murray was was in there, it's a different story, I think. I mean, I Drew Holiday could still very easily win that battle. But Drew Holiday guarding Will Barton, <laughs> it's, uh, that's kind of like a, ra- a wrap-up on that. And then our final one, I think this one is going to be madly disrespectful. A team we talked about last week, the Utah Jazz. I gave the Bucks a 75% chance of beating the Jazz. Um, I don't think Gobert can stop Giannis. <laughs> I don't think the, the Jazz will make it this far, first of all. We've, we're both very low on the Jazz. And I think that Drew can take out Donovan. I think that that's really all you need to do against the Jazz. I'm pretty sure if yours isn't at least as high as mine, I will be shocked. What do you have for the Jazz? Well, I actually only have it at 60%. Wow. Just because of I have I have PTSD of of the Heat series last year where the Bucks just couldn't decide who to guard on the three-point line and it killing them. And this Jazz team has thrived off the three-point shot. So the the only the only reason I give them that much of a chance is because I could see the Jazz getting hot from three enough where it gives them a shot, but ultimately the Bucks just kill them talent wise. That you know what? That's fair. I think on that note, it's time to wrap up. Um, from one young soul to another. I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna do it last this week. I can't top what I did last week. Like I, I think it was so perfect. I Dylan, I just can't muster the energy to find something better than that right now. I mean, you know what? Why why fix something if it's not broken? I, I think we've cracked the code on how to threaten people properly to buy the book. And that was it. And you know what? If you didn't hear it last, if you didn't hear it, then, then go back and listen. And there's just no way you can avoid buying the book at that point. That's right. You'll be, you'll be scared straight as they say. Um, Divine Ryan, Dylan Hughes, you guys did, uh, you and Will Hogsett did 2014 Forest Hills Drive this week. How, how'd that go? How'd that go? Tell the audience how that went. It's very good, man. Me, me and Will are just, we're clicking we're clicking man and and jay cole is like the perfect guy for us to start with and this week was was kind of special because it was like the 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 prior two pods just built perfectly into this record and like having the context for this record now that we didn't really have before um was really nice and i thought it was a really really good deep discussion so very very much a must listen and I, I agree. It was a very good pod. Make sure you go check it out. I, I'm really enjoying the Divine Rhyme sec the section of the podcast. It's been really it's been a really great addition, you know, going as well as I thought it would. So make sure you go check that out. Lynn Sanity will be back next week. Um, I believe Zach Griffith will be joining the crew on Mondays for their podcast. And he might be Caleb might be doing two Lynn Sanities a week. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Um 
triple option pass. They'll be back. Well, they'll be out the same time that we are tomorrow. They'll be doing the defensive prospects. And then next week, they're going to be doing a first round mock draft. So make sure you check that out. Circle City Cinema. I was on there for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'll be on there for a recap this this upcoming week. So make sure you check that out. Um, he'll be doing two Oscar shows, one with his friend Coop, and then another like previewing the show. Then he'll be doing a live Oscar show. I'm really scared of that one. <laughs> <laughs> but listen maximum chaos you know that's all i'm here for um so make sure you go check that out check out the live oscars pod when that's put out dylan hughes will, do you guys have a date he zach found out on the podcast so i'm very happy that he listened and found out he said he was he said it was a great way to find out um so you'll be on there very soon right of the new parasite <laughs> Yes. I have not told him when yet, um, because frankly, I don't know what the hell is happening in my life right now. I just kind of wake up and figure stuff out. Um, so I'll, I'll set a date eventually, but I know my time is coming, so it'll be soon. <laughs> Make sure you check that out when he's on there. Your co-host, Will Hogsett, was on the uh, was on the battleground this week, and it was, it was a great episode. Make sure make sure you check that out. Will brought the, uh, brought the hot takes, so... He he calls LeBron LaFraud, which I thought was absolutely fucking hilarious. I'm not even gonna lie. I I think LaFraud is one of the funnier names. I think Way Off P is my absolute favorite, <laughs> but I don't I don't think anything can be better than Way Off P. But make sure you check that out with uh, Bryce, JD, and uh, Zach. And then our teams for next week: Dylan Hughes, it's the Clippers, the Bulls, and the 76ers. So that's gonna be a fascinating week, especially with the Bulls and the tailspin. I think I covered all my bases here. Yeah, I did. So um Dylan Hughes, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you.